Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, boy. You want a packed show? We got it for you today here on A's Cast Live. This has just come down. Stephen Piscotti, A's outfielder, will be here at 110. Our A's historian, David Feldman, 130. We'll do our top 10 A's and pop, pop culture. Paul Hembikides from ESPN will be here at 2. It's a Thursday. That means it's a Ray Fossey day. Ray Fossey here at 2.30. Then at 3 o'clock... Assistant General Manager and Director of Player Personnel will have our man Billy Owens, better known as Billy O, and then former General Manager, now turned TV star on MLB Network, Dan O'Dowd will be here at 3.30. Piscotti, Feldman, Himbo, Fossey, Billy O, and Danny O. It's a jam-packed show here on A's Cast Live. And I didn't think about this, Cody, till I was retweeting uh, to let people know that uh, Stephen Piscotti is going to be on in moments, the A's Week of Giving. Looking at the calendar, trying to go to December, is this our last show? Uh, we have a show on Monday, and then we're done until okay. Jan 4, so January 4th. 2021, we'll look ahead to the uh, the new year. Maybe it'll be a lot better than uh, 2020 was. Um, oh, it of... better be. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see how they get started. What is it? Uh, new Year's Eve would be New Year's Eve would be next the Thursday after Christmas. So we'll see how that how that goes. And we kick off the new year on that Friday. Uh, bowl games, maybe. I don't know how that's going to work. How it's all, but hopefully 2021 will be much better than 2020 was. So one show left after today on Monday. All right. Well, we got Rule 5 news today. We've got 
A's announcing their minor league affiliates. Las Vegas will be AAA. Midland will be AA. Lansing will be high A. Stockton will be low A. Kai Tom and Danny Jimenez were selected by the Athletics in the Rule 5 draft today, which always goes down uh, at the winter meetings. Tom is 26 years old. They like that he can play all three positions. 2019 hit 290, 23 home runs, 86 RBIs between AA and AAA. Danny Jimenez uh, pitched last year. He was actually, this is the second time he's been drafted, uh, Rule 5. He was with the Giants, wasn't very good, and then sent back to the Blue Jays. Both guys are 26 years old, and they are in their prime, entering their prime. The question becomes, are you going to keep both? You got to keep these guys. If not, you got to offer them back. And if the team doesn't want to take them back, then you can send them to the minor leagues. But that's the kicker with the whole rule five pick is that he's got to stay there the full season. Now, is that going to be easy to do on a team like the A's? No. I mean, this is a roster that, you know, neither of those guys are playing positions that if the A's are going to lose somebody, <laughs> you know, they're not a shortstop at second baseman or a closer. So you, you just never know with Rule 5. If you can hit on a guy like Mark Canna, who was an unbelievable Rule 5 pick by the Athletics, but you do it, it's a gamble. It's not an expensive gamble. And if you can make it happen, you can make it happen. Our good friend Bip Roberts was a Rule 5 guy. Did you know that, Cody? Bip was Rule 5. He was originally Pittsburgh and then uh, taken by uh, San Diego. Uh, I didn't know that until you mentioned it earlier, just like I didn't know until the other day when I looked it up that Roberto Clemente was a Rule 5 guy playing on the Dodgers' Montreal roster, and he was drafted by the Pirates, and he turned out to be probably the greatest, if not one of the greatest right fielders in history of baseball. And uh, we know what he did off the field with all of his humanitarian efforts. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know about Bip, though, until you mentioned it earlier today. So, uh that's uh, news to me. Well, there's just – there's not a whole lot going on right now. I thought probably the biggest move we've seen, Lance Lynn, uh, this in some ways helps the A's. Lance Lynn got traded by the Rangers, and he's going to the Chicago White Sox. To me, that's a huge deal. You know, the past couple of years, the White Sox, they've tried to spend money. They tried to give their money to Manny Machado. And their young kids are growing up. We just saw it. We saw how good they can be as the A's were in their dogfight to get out of that first round, that uh, quick little three-game set. You add Lance Lynn to that rotation? So what, what what are the Rangers thinking? I mean, once again, that's good news for the A's. But what are the Rangers like? You have a brand new ballpark. You had fans in the stands during the playoffs and the World Series there. I'm sure they're going to be planning on having fans again. And you're going to get rid of your you're going to get rid of him. It was uh, interesting move because they acquired Dane Dunning back from the White Sox who, wait for it, the White Sox got from the Nationals. For, and if I believe if I'm correct, he was in the uh, Adam Eaton trade where they got Giolito and 
Ronaldo Lopez. And flash forward to 2020, they get Adam Eaton back on the White Sox to go along with Giolito and those other guys. And then they trade Dunning to the White Sox to get Lynn. I, Lynn's in the last year of his deal, but he's led baseball in innings pitched and batters faced the last two seasons. I don't get Texas's thinking now. They lost their remember what was it, twenty nineteen minor and Lynn were like the lead like, you know, among the leaders in war and baseball. And, you know, I think Lynn's only second behind DeGrom in war over the last couple of years, uh, for pitchers. The Rangers now, like I can't name a starter on the rotation besides maybe Dane Dunning now. And you're going into a new ballpark maybe with fans this year. And who are you trotting out there? Uh, Joey Gallo is a good a good player, but that's about it. Uh, Connor Falafa, who's now playing shortstop, not in Elvis Andrews. I, I I don't know. Are they going to try to get Arnado? Are they going to go after Chris Bryant? They got to do something if they're going to try to make a splash. They kind of hang into it, you know, be keep uh, be competitive in the NL or AL West. But yeah, I don't. I getting Dunning's a good move, but that's a huge move for Tony Larusa and the White Sox to get uh, Lance Lynn to pitch behind Giolito and Keuchel. And how free agency's going to go, and our man Jim Bowden uh, put out on Twitter that the market right now looks like the average major league players are being valued by baseball teams in the range of 6 to $9 million per season. So the mega deal, not out there. And when I see that, that 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 immediately says, if I'm looking at it from like just an A standpoint. So you're saying there's a chance with 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 Marcus Simeon. Some guys are just going to say you get. I don't know if I would do this. I don't know how I would handle it, but Carlos Santana got two years, seventeen million from the Royals. Did not want to. Did not. Did not want to wait around at all. He just want to get a deal signed. Hey, it's $17 million in your pocket. Oh, do you have the audio of Lynn hanging up on the sports radio station? It was actually Eaton, uh, the hung up on the sports station. When they asked uh, they asked him, in ESPN 1000, they asked Adam Eaton uh, if Tony La Russa can uh, connect with uh, the young Oh, yeah, play that. Yeah. Do you know Tony at all? I mean, uh, at, at any level? I don't He probably wasn't in Arizona when you were there when you were young, I don't think. But, I mean, do you know Tony LaRusso at all? Uh, I don't know about knowing him, but, I, you know, I've talked to him on the phone a few times. I've met him uh, multiple times. So, um, you know, true baseball man. Um, a guy that knows the games, understands the games, been on some very successful teams. Uh, and uh, like it's a, a great manager to play for, so I'm excited. There's some concern that, you know, because he's older and he's been away from the game for a while, at least as a manager, he hasn't been in the dugout in a while, that he might have a hard time relating with today's player. Will that be a problem? <laughs> uh, all right, guys, you guys have a good day. Well, uh, and uh, that's I'll it. talk to you all later. I appreciate it. Yeah, I gave, I gave you your two minutes. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was that's how it ended. I gave you two minutes. Thanks for coming. That's that's that that's harder. We 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 got to get back into that. But Stephen Piscotti joins us here. Stephen, how are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Uh, I bet. Let I'm just gonna tell you. We we just played Adam Eaton. Um, don't hang up on a radio station. It's not a good look. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> that's not- it doesn't, it doesn't go over well in the end, but uh, so so. Have you been since the uh, end of the season? I've been good. Um, 
you know, just at home, a little bored, not a whole lot going on, uh, other than the training, haven't traveled or done anything really. Um, but I'm healthy and my family's healthy, so we're, we're doing just fine. Yeah. And it's A's week of giving. And I, I know as a, as a local guy, that means a lot to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, last year, Marcus and I got to, you know, visit a bunch of places and, um, you know, meet a lot of people and, and do some cool things in the community. And obviously with, um, uh, everything going on, it's not really, uh, doable this year. Um, so we're kind of missing out on that for sure. Um, but I'm sure, you know, hopefully next year we'll be right, right back to it. Um, but it is, you know, we've done a few videos and a couple things trying to, uh, you know, spread some joy and some cheer into, into people's lives right now. And hopefully we're doing that. Yeah, and I and I think that you know more than ever in a time like this, uh, if, if there's anything anybody can do, you know, from the A standpoint to help a family, to help anyone. I mean, it's just you always want to ha- you at this time of the year you always want to give back, but it just seems extra special this year because so many people need some love and need some happiness. Absolutely, um, it's been a challenging year. Very, very challenging to say the least, and um, you know we're almost, almost to the new year and can uh, you know, kiss 2020 goodbye. Um, but yeah, it's it's good to uh, you know do that, and you know there's a lot of people that are that are hurting right now, and so anything we can do to help, um, you know we feel like that's our responsibility to do. When you look back at 2020, and it was only 60 games, but sure felt like way more than 60. And then the run through the postseason. When you've now had time to reflect, what do you think about the 2020 season? I mean, it was unique. You know, that's that's kind of one thing that you know, sticks out. You know, it was just um, a really weird, um, you know, season. You know, the the protocols, everything we were having to do, you know, just to get into the ballpark, and you know, our routines were all thrown off, and um, you know, traveling was different. You know, it was just we had hall monitors in the hotels. Like it was just, it was just a strange, strange season. Um, but I felt like as a team, um, everyone that you know got on that field competed their heart out. Um, I don't think that lacked in, in any regard. And it was, um, you know, a successful year. You know, to get you know another another step uh, further into the playoffs. Um, but it was just a, a strange season. I mean, shoot, I remember the games we were playing. You know, when the smoke. Uh, was coming into town. Yeah. We had a one o'clock game, you know, under the lights because it was just the sky was brown. It was incredible. <laughs> so it was just like weird things like that sprinkled throughout the season. Um, it was just really strange. Yeah, you know, trying to tell everybody, you know, what you guys are going through in the travel party. I mean, just think at one point you guys were worried about whether you would be in, in in the line of the hurricane that was heading to Houston. Luckily it didn't get to Houston and it went North, but there was a, almost, we're going to have to deal with a hurricane. Yeah. yeah hurricane. Um, you know, we had the one COVID, you know, positive test and had to, um, you know, shut down for, for a week. Um, obviously we had the, the games that we, um, you know, didn't play, um, that we, you know, in a sense, protested and um you know there was a stretch there i think we went you know almost a week without playing a a ball game and then had to make them all up you know later um so it was just a a a crazy chaotic season um i'm you know very fortunate to be a you know part of that you know that's one we'll we'll not forget anytime soon um 
but I'm just really hopeful that we, we return back to normal uh, coming up here for, for spring training and beyond. And one of the reasons why, you know, we're all crossing our fingers for that is you still have a very good ball club and you have one of the better ball clubs in all of the game. And I think this is going to be a season where you're going to have certain teams that are in it and certain teams who are going into some type of reset, rebuild mode. And everybody that I've talked to and hearing you today, it's like you understand how good you guys can be. And what you've learned from last year, you can carry into this next season. And you have to believe, Stephen, you guys are one of the teams that's going to have a shot to win it all. Absolutely. Um, like I said, we, we gained some more experience, you know, last year, you know, going to the playoffs. Um, you know, we won the division. That was a you know tremendous accomplishment. Um, you know, I think each year that I've, you know, been with the club, things have just gotten better and better. And I don't see any reason why that's going to you know, stop, you know, progressing in that way. Um, so I think it's, it's an exciting time um, to be part of this, this team. I think it should be an exciting time as a, as a fan, you know, this, this club, you know, wants to win. It's going to do everything they can. So what's the key for you this off season, getting ready for 2021? Um, you know, there's a few things that, you know, from an offensive, uh, standpoint, I'd like to, to work on and, and clean up and, you know, spend some time, um, you know, go, you know, working with, with Darren Bush, you know, our hitting guy and, and sending videos back and forth, um, you know, trying to get a little shorter to the baseball. I felt like I got a little bit long, um, you know, last year it was, it was a tough year. I felt like I had a great, you know, first month and then, um, you know, kind of ran into a, a classic, uh, slump towards the end and with only 60 games you don't really have a time a whole lot of time to uh to correct that um and so I look back you know generally um with some positivity with, with some of the things I did um can try to build off that and and uh you improve where I need to improve you know they've always had that cliche back of the baseball card I just got a feeling that we're not even going to look at 2020 like you're just going to skip from you're going to go 2019 all the way to 2021 because you know it, it. How do you really judge any of the numbers when it's only 60 games? Yeah, I mean when you're used to playing, you know, 162, and then it, it's condensed down. Um, you know, the sample size is obviously just just smaller, so you're going to see you know some you know crazier and, and bigger swings or um, you know margins of error on, on certain statistics. So um, it was. We all knew that going in, um, but you, you know, you know, like for me, when I, I still look a bit, you know, my batting average at the end, and it's 220, and I'm like, you know, it still doesn't feel good. I know I didn't necessarily get a whole season, but it, it didn't, you know, feel good. Um, but I felt like there were some, um, you know, stretches during that season where I felt, um, you know, it was really, you know, helping, you know, contribute and come through um, for the ball club, and you know, those are the things that I try to uh, to remember and and think of. Uh, uh, more often than the than the negative. Hey, you want to talk weird? I don't know if you got to see this, but obviously your alma mater, Stanford, Stanford football, has been one of the premier programs now for years, winning a lot of big games, bowl games. Mm -hmm. uh, they were practicing at a park, a Division One Pac-12 school. Did you see those pictures? <laughs> I have not. I, I believe it. I have not seen the pictures though. I, you got to go see it because I was like, like, you're like, Stanford football is practicing at a park. I mean, it was so hard <laughs> to get your mind around that. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, is that related to you know what is happening with the Niners and how they're forced to? What was the what was the reasoning there? I have, I haven't heard this. This is new to it, me. No, no, it's 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 Santa Clara County shut down all contact sports. So San Jose State, Stanford. That's why the Forty ers had to go to. Uh, that's why the Forty ers Arizona. So basically, Stanford and San Jose State and the Forty ers will be finishing their seasons uh, on the road. Ooh, tough, <laughs> tough, tough, tough. Yeah, I just wanted to know if you saw that because it was just so interesting uh, to see that. But, you know, once again, thank you for everything you do because every single year you've been been with the A's, you've been very good. And uh, uh, the local guys, you take a lot of pride in being a local guy, and, and we all respect that. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, that means, that means a lot to me. So Happy have- to do it. Have a good Christmas. Stay healthy. Happy holidays. Have a good new year, and we'll talk to you in 2021. Be well with the family and be safe. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, too. Stephen Piscotti of your Oakland Athletics. And it's just, it is what it is. You're just going to, like, 2020, we're just going to, we're going to bypass that. We're not going to look at that year. It's like, to take you behind the glass, Cody's like, ah, oh, rookie of the year. Uh, you know, gold gloves. I mean, it's a 60-game season. I know baseball's still going to go try and give us as much normalcy as ever, but MVP, Cy Young, I mean, I mean, Trevor Bauer had a terrific year, but Trevor Bauer only had to gear up for 60 games. So it's hard for me to look at the postseason awards and, you know, I looking back, you know, when you look about, about great MVPs and great Cy Young Awards and Rookies of the Year and everything, it's been a little bit of a grain of salt there. I think the only one we can really – and I agree with you on, to some extent on some of them. The one I think we will always remember is how great Randy Arozarena was in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, that was pretty historic, the 10 home runs, but – yeah, I mean, Bauer only had a pitch in 11 games. He only started 11 games because his 12th start, he was kind of waiting to see if he's going to have to start a game for the, the Reds get in the postseason, but they already got in. So, uh, yeah, it's 2020. I'm lo- you know, I think we're all looking forward to just getting past this year. Uh, we know what the troubles we had, and hopefully there's something you know new and abound on the uh, horizon in 2021. And that starts with the baseball season. I, I'm hoping that we're able to get a full season in, spring training, Normal playoffs, maybe expanded playoffs, maybe universal DH. But hey, I'm just you know I'm wishful thinking here. Um, but I'm look I'm looking forward to you know as as everyone else is uh, just to get past this dreadful year that was 2020. Are you buying that Randy Rosarena is one of the next great players in the game? I think he'll be good. I don't think he's going to be a star. I think he's going to buy. No, I'm going to sell. Okay. I just think that I mean guys have good postseason runs. I mean we've seen in other sports too. Remember Joe Flacco going from the uh, what took the the Ravens as a wild card and they won the Super Bowl. And it's like is Joe Flacco elite? Well, he never really did anything after. I know I'm knocking a former Pitt quarterback here. Uh, we've seen it in baseball before with guys. Guys have had good postseasons and you know it didn't really carry over. There are there are situations where it has in different sports. Hockey, there's always the goalie that gets really hot. I mean. You know, Jordan Bennington from the, the Blues is a good example of a guy that got hot, and he's been good since. But there are guys that are like that, not not good. Now, Martin Jones has been great for the Sharks since then. 
Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm going to have to sell on uh, a Rosarena right now. I think he's going to be a good player for the Rays, but not to the caliber of how he was in the playoffs. All right, David Force did his media session at the winter meetings. We got a little audio for you. He mentioned how it felt like a normal week. This is a weird one. You know, I certainly miss uh, some parts of it and seeing seeing the people that uh, you get to see every year. Um, but we're all just as capable of sitting around doing nothing in our own homes as we are in the suites at the winter meetings. So, yeah, it's it, it's just a normal week for us right now. Um, which is, yeah, which is sort of sad in some ways, not to sort of have the, the buzz and, and all the stuff that's generated by everybody being in one place. So we got to see it. And, you know, for the most part, the, the, the guys who are wheeling and dealing, you don't really see them walking around. You see a lot of people interviewing with people, with organizations, like where we were. We saw A's employees who were interviewing people. I don't know what their job was going to be, but yeah, people go there to get jobs. People go there to interview. All that is missed at the winter meetings, but it's not like Billy, you know, it's not like the old days where these guys are hanging out at the bar and they're putting, uh, they're putting trades together on cocktail napkins, right? Billy Bean and David Force are not hanging out at the bar at the winter meetings. They have their suites. You can call another team, come to my suite. I'll come to your suite, you know. So I totally understand that from, from David's, you know, if, if you're if you're trying to make deals or try, or agents and signing whatever, you're not doing that out in public. No, you're right. And we saw that last year firsthand with uh, Farhan walking by us. And, you know, I remember I always tell the story. I tried to get him on, but he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm busy. I can't do it another time, guys. And, he was making a trade. And a little bit later, it comes out he made a trade with the Angels. So, of course, and, you know, speaking of the Angels, you saw your guy Billy Epler walking around. Who would have known that would have been the last time you would have saw Billy Epler with the Angels. But that was the last time you got to see your good friend, Billy Epler. But, yeah, that whole experience is great. Like, the idea for people going down to look for jobs and stuff like that. Uh, like, Ken Korak told us he got his first job in baseball uh, back in 1985. So, AAA. So, he was he knows the the, the value of the winter meetings. We'll get into all these, but uh, let's get to the one. He mentioned how it might take a while to figure out the free agent market. I think there's still a long way to go before we figure out what the market really looks like, but not for lack of conversation and, and checking in. And, and again, also having conversations with clubs about what the trade market might look like. I mean, we've seen, we've seen a few trades in the last week, but no, I, I think it's going to be a little while until we we have enough certainty um, about the, the 21 season to to really know, you know, where our moves are going to come from. Seems pretty fair. I think a lot of people are going to do that. And you're going to wait because there's going to be a ton of players. I keep talking about there's going to be a ton of players there. And there's going to be players to, 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 to trade. And there's going to be players to sign as free agents. And I think, and I, I see now there's some people believe a couple pieces fall and then there's going to be a flurry. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see some in December, some in January, some in February, some in March. I think that's pretty fair. This yeah. Really I don't think, I don't think, it's, I don't think it's going to be like it is in the past. I mean, you know, the past couple of years, we've seen guys now not sign till February. 
Look, I mean, Machado and Harper, two big boys, they signed at the start of spring training. Yeah, J.D. Martinez signed late. The, was that the year before? Uh, yeah, we're, we've been seeing later and later. Like last year was, a, I guess, an anomaly where we saw all those guys sign while we were down there. You know, Strasburg resigned, Cole signed, and then Anthony Rendon signed right after. The Angels missed out on Garrett Cole. And then I don't remember a lot of big stuff happening after that for a while, but the years prior, it just seemed like the where everyone gears up for the NBA offseason before the offseason starts, where it's like, oh, you know, where's LeBron going? That's like the biggest story before the season even kicks off is what's going to happen the next year. Baseball, it's not like that. It's it's kind of slow and an ongoing process. And I think we're we're back to where we were a couple of years ago where it's just a slow market. And that uh, uh, the biggest part is because of what happened this year in 2020. All right, coming up next year on A's Cast Live, we'll do an A's Top 10, and it's about pop culture with Dave Feldman right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. And Major League Baseball, and top ten list, and pop culture. David Feldman, how are you? It's been a while. It's been a while, Tony. I'm well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. And of course, we call you our A's historian. But all the work you do on television, um, God, I miss seeing uh, baseball on TV. I can't wait to get it back. Yeah, it was. We got shortchanged, right? I mean, you look back at the season and you realize how short it is and how wonderful 162 games is over a whole summer right six months of baseball because we just got a little snippet of it and it just kind of leaves you with an empty feeling and you're 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 like our resident professor on uh being a major league baseball scorekeeper as you're teaching everybody how to do it the right way the right way or the way that works that was a lot of fun this this season doing uh scoring seminars and a I hope as going forward we can do more, hopefully in person, um, and get more people involved in the scoring of the game because, as we've talked about, it's just it brings a whole different level of enjoyment and education to, to baseball. If you if you keep score during the ball game, uh, you're going to open your eyes to a lot of things. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. You don't think about it when you're just sitting there with a hot dog and a beer, but there's a lot more going on. <laughs> and when you keep score, you figure that out real quick. Yeah, you really do. I think you really just get an insight into the game. And each game, you you kind of learn a little bit more and your knowledge of strategy and how the game is played and what things can be done. And it really, it makes you, it turns you as a fan into a manager because you're thinking along with the manager and you're thinking ahead. And that's the biggest trick with baseball, right, is to, to know what you want to do in the seventh and eighth innings by the action you've seen in the second and the third. And by writing things down and keeping score, as a fan, you get to see those things develop and you can kind of guess where the game's going. Has anything shocked you yet about this offseason? No, not at all. Uh, you figured it was going to be a little slow going just because of the uncertainty with cost and what the revenues are going to be and what the season's going to look like. Look, we don't even know if the National League's going to have a DH or not. And that's ridiculous that we're really three, four months away, and you don't even know if that's a position that your team's going to have if you're in the National League. So that all of this slows everything down. I think once they get into some of the changing the figures in arbitration and we start seeing where the market lies, 
I think maybe we're going to get some more movement. But right now, kind of the, the slow and steady that we've seen, it's, it's been pretty predictable. And we don't know the roster size. So it's like... That's another one. Right? Think about if you're a general manager. Think about if you're, you know, you're, you're, you're being in force and, you, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to build your roster. Um, you know, am I going to have 26 guys? Am I going to have 28 guys? Heck, do I have 30 guys? I mean, that kind of changed how, how you deal with the market. It really does. And I think you kind of saw the A's taking the two rule five draft picks today. I mean, if they keep them, they have to be on their roster all year. Well, that's a lot easier if you have a 28-man roster. We saw that with Vinny L. Machine last year. Um, if it's 26, maybe not as easy to do that. Um, 30, definitely doable, whether we're going to have taxi squads or, or what the roster is going to look like. Yeah, that's a huge part of roster makeup is knowing how many guys you can actually have. Let's get into our top 10. What is the top 10 we will be doing today? So this came from me misreading a, a tweet from Cody. Uh, he had texted me. He says, what about if we do, uh, you know, the biggest winter meeting moves? And I read it as biggest movies. <laughs> it got me thinking about the A's in movies and pop culture and the green and gold always popping up. Maybe where you least expect it. And how, what a thrill it is. I mean, for me, growing up as an A's fan, and you see the A's in a TV show or in a movie, I mean, it was just, it got my attention and I just logged on to it, right? So kind of looking back and wherever the A's showed up in pop culture and here's sort of the top 10 things where uh, the A's unexpectedly, sometimes expectedly, showed up. I love it. This is such a good idea. See, this is the kind of creative stuff we do on A's Cast and A's Cast Live in the off season. Yeah, I mean, it lends itself to it. And I think, I mean, come on, you're an A's fan. You see an A's hat somewhere, uh, you get excited. It's just it's just a natural reaction. All right, let's do it. All right, number 10. And we're going to start with a, a former A's executive vice president. That's MC Hammer. Uh, MC Hammer, you know, by the end of the 80s, with you can't touch this, was one of the biggest stars in the country. I mean, he's on par with, with Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince and MC Hammer was right there. So now he's putting out his second album and he's going to put out his first single. It's going to be too legit to quit. And he's putting out a video. This is still one of the most expensive videos ever made. It's over 14 minutes long. It has celebrity superstars like Henry Winkler, Queen Latifah, Robin Fab from Millie Vanilli. Can't have a good video without Robin Fab. James Brown, the godfather of soul. Jim Belushi opens it up as a, as, as a newscaster announcing that Hammer has quit the business. And there's this whole plot line about Hammer having to go steal Michael Jackson's glove because uh, James Brown tells him to do that. All great. But then in the middle of it, there's a dance break in the middle of this video. And Hammer breaks out the sweetest A's varsity jacket you've ever seen. And the whole dance crew has the A's varsity jackets on. And they got uh, shorts, green shorts, and they're breaking it down. Uh, it's, it's A's galore just dancing up a storm too legit to quit. And then now the sports celebrities start showing up in the video. There's Jose Canseco. There's Ricky Henderson. Kirby Puckett. Deion Sanders. Chris Mullen is in too legit to quit video. Unbelievable. And this is the A's getting that, that front and center with the dance break. This, if you got a time, you got time, you got 14, 15 minutes, 
Go to YouTube. Too legit to quit. It's an epic video. It's been so long. What year was that? So that came out in 1991. 1991. That's my first year at San Jose State. That's how long ago that was. It's a long time. But I mean, Hammer, he was the biggest star going. I mean, he had a Saturday morning cartoon. He had everything. That's how big this guy was. And Michael Jackson loved the video because there was a little, you know, teasing of Michael about stealing his glove. But supposedly Michael loved it. Well, uh, yeah, you were. You're, I mean, you, you're dead on. He was. He was an absolute superstar, and he made a lot of money. Unfortunately, didn't keep it. But uh, he definitely, at one point, was as big as anybody. All right, number nine. Number nine, and this is kind of a personal favorite of mine. Is sometimes you just don't know when the A's are going to pop up. But it's the movie Field of Dreams. And remember the movie Kevin Costner? He kidnaps. Uh, James Earl Jones' character, Terrence Mann, they take him to a baseball game at Fenway Park. Uh, who's playing? It's the A's and the Red Sox. Fenway Park, and they actually show you video, and there's Rod Hassey at the bat against Oil Can Boyd flying out the center fielder, Brady Anderson, who was a rookie center fielder with the Red Sox for the first part of the 88 season when this was uh, filmed. Rod Hassey flying out and Field the Dreams. And that's, I mean, I remember sitting in the theater and my eyes just get big. It's Ron Hassey. You can see, you can see that batting stance. Then he flies out. It's actually a game the A's ended up losing. Uh, this was in May of 1988. They lost 4-1. to Boyd outpitched Dave Stewart. But you know what? Kevin Costner and James Old Jones don't know that because they left that game early. So they don't even know the outcome. It's baseball, Ray. <laughs> and then, and People then when- will come. And then, and then in the end, when he, you know, Kevin Costner gets emotional, like, Dad, can we just have a catch? How do you not I mean, love that? I hate it. I mean, I love the book. The book was Shoeless Joe at W.P. Kinsella, and it's just it's so well written. It, it's such a great story. Uh, and I was so excited for the movie. I mean, just because I love the book so much. And then to see Ron Hassey get a starring role. How good is this? <laughs> Field of Dream. You know, it's like some of these movies are just like the video on YouTube. We need to go back and watch these. Yeah. I mean, I actually saw Field of Dreams was on, you know, MLB Networks and playing a lot of movies again lately. And it was on and it sucked me in. And it was great. It, I mean, I know it's a little smalty at times and some people are like, eh, it's a little too soft, but I just, it's fantastic. Oh, so good. Number eight. So, number eight. It's a Tupac Shakur. It's Tupac. Tupac. There was a movie in 1993. He starred in with Janet Jackson called Poetic Justice. And in the movie, he plays a kid from Oakland, and they actually travel back to Oakland. And he wears this sweet A's starter jersey uh, and an A's hat. And he's decked out in the A's gear. And this stuff is actually for sale still. You can go online. You can see there's, there's photos of it, people trying to sell this jersey. Because it wasn't your typical A's jersey. Uh, I had pinstripes on it, so it made it a little different. But it's Tupac decked out in A's gear, which is fantastic. And Tupac, who, yes, he was born in New York, but he actually went to high school in Mill Valley at Tamil Pius High. So he, had a, he has a Bay Area connection. He also had a very small role. If you remember this, this is your hip-hop time in 1990, the Humpty Dance by Digital Underground. The Remember this? Dance is your chance doing the hump. Exactly. So Humpty. So in that video, Tupac is actually one of the backup dancers. He's in there, and also there are two backup dancers wearing A's shirts. 
And in this crowd in the video for the Humpty Dance is a whole bunch of people in A's swag. So Tupac had a little history with the A's, but then in the movie Poetic Justice, he's decked out. He is an A's fan. This is phenomenal knowledge. And this is where you can only get on A's cast. I mean, come on. And, you know, I have a staunch history of, of knowing my 90s hip-hop and Tupac's right there. <laughs> yeah, number seven. Number seven. So back in the 70s, when there were only three channels, right, ABC, CBS, NBC, uh, there was something called the made-for-TV movies. And these were big. These were big-time events when you'd get your Sunday night TV movie. And in 1977, there's a movie called Murder at the World Series. And it's starring Bruce Boxleitner and Karen Valentine. Big stars. Murder at the World Series. And the plot is about a psychopath who was once cut by the Astros in spring training, plans revenge against the team by staging a series of kidnappings. That's the plot. Movie opens up and you hear an announcer. It's the 1976 World Series. It's the A's versus the Astros. Remember at the time, the Astros were in the National League. A's, Astros, World Series. And you saw the movie starts. You hear the TV announcer. He says, two outs, bottom of the ninth. Don Baylor digging in. Coliseum and crowd in Oakland rooting for the A's to come back. And then they kind of go to a shot of a TV. And you see a player in an A's uniform who is definitely not Don Baylor because he's like an old pudgy white guy at the plate. And... <laughs> It's clearly shot at the Astrodome because there's AstroTurf and it's the Astrodome. And you see him fly out to Cesar Cedeno in center field. And we learned from the announcer, the A's have led the series two games to none, but now they've lost three straight at the Coliseum. And the series is moving back to Houston for game six and seven. So now me, as my 10-year-old self watching this, I'm pissed because the A's just blew a 2-0 lead in the World Series. Watching the movie, I'm getting upset about it. But I love it because you hear the A's get their starting lineup announced. We're Camp Veneris, this whole this whole thing going on. Uh, again, it wasn't real because the A's did lose the World Series to the Astros. But uh, it was just, you know, a 10-year-old kid, and you hear the A's in the World Series. How good is that? So what, what happened? Does anybody get kidnapped? I mean, what, what, what happened? Yeah, so he actually, the kidnapper, whose name is Cisco. Uh, he sends a cassette tape to the Houston Astros organization and literally he says this, I'm going to kidnap one of the Astros ladies until they pay him the money they owe him. And he was asking for $150,000. Yes, he was going to kidnap one of the Astros ladies. And I'm a polite figuring, kidnapper. I, I'm figuring it, the, the plot didn't work out. It didn't work out. It got foiled at the end. Uh, you know, all the Astros ladies were fine, uh, and they caught, caught Cisco. But it tells you, you never know when you cut somebody in spring training, what could happen. <laughs> Beware, baseball people. Are we on number six? Uh, number six. And this is uh, this got a lot of play uh, in the recent year, but it's Toy Story 4. It's the Ricky Henderson bobblehead in Toy Story. Um, and I think we know that the people over at Pixar um, – Jonas Rivera, who's a huge A's fan, is the head of production. There's always Oakland and East Bay stuff and a lot of the films. Uh, but to see the Ricky Henderson bobblehead, that was just, that's special, right? Because these, these movies are tremendous and about childhood toys. And I think if you're 
a kid of any age having a Ricky Henderson bobblehead is a pretty special thing. And then to see it in a movie like that, it's just, it's just a great, it's a great thing. Which Toy Story? Toy Story 4, the last one that came out. You know what? I think I, I think that's the one. I don't think I've seen that. You know, th- things have changed in my life as my kids have turned into teenagers. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, you know, Disney princess movies and all that stuff is uh, has gone away. Yeah, this is. Uh, it was good because they they sent out some publicity stills early, and you saw the little bobblehead, and it was Ricky. Uh, it's just cool, and Jonas again, a huge A's fan. He's been out to the Coliseum many, yeah. many times, and it's just great having him put little A's. Uh, Easter eggs in places. Yeah, that is pretty cool. I, I now have to see that. You know, the problem was I have this producer um, that acts like he's 12 years old and came <laughs> in, and came into my house and told my kids how he didn't like it, um, which was kind of a bummer. Do you remember I that? Like it? I, as a big toy, as I grew up on Toy Story, the first one came out. I was a kid. Well, I was like eight when Toy Story one came out. And then seeing two and three, I thought they that the way number three ended was perfect. And then I I don't know, I just wasn't a huge fan of four. I didn't hate it, I just wasn't a big fan. I thought it should have ended at three. I remember telling the twins it should have stopped at three. But I don't know, everyone has so a different that, opinion. So that really made my kids want to go see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we have? Five? Number five. And now we're going back to mid eighties television. Now, this is 1984. The A's, I mean, they're, they're in a bad time. Billy Martin is gone. They're playing in the Coliseum. There's no crowd. They're not very good. And they just are not in the public eye. And they're never on the game of the week. Nobody knows about the Oakland A's. But now there's a network TV show, and one of the main characters spends the entire series wearing an Oakland A's hat. And that TV show was Highway to Heaven. Aired from 1984 to 1989. Michael Landon was one of the stars. He was an angel. And Victor French was his ruffled human. And Victor French always wore an A's hat. Uh, His character in the show was a former Oakland cop who was fired for excessive force. But now he's teaming with Michael Landon to, to save the day. I never watched the show, to be honest. But I love the fact that Victor French was wearing an A's cap. Again, the A's were in, I mean, nobody's public mind in those years, in 84, uh, 85, 86. There, were, there was nothing there. But Victor French wearing an A's hat on network television every week. I kind of, he was the older guy, right? Yeah, older guy with the beard and the mustache. Yeah, I, I kind of remember that. Yeah, and you know, people always wondered why wasn't he wearing an angel's cap because he was working with Michael Landon, who was an angel. It would have made more sense. But nah, he was a former Oakland cop. He wore his A's hat proudly. It was, it was kind of a dirty, ratty A's hat, to be honest with you. But it, it put the A's at least again on network TV once a week for you know five, six seasons. Awesome. Number four. Number four. I'm telling you, everybody, you need to go to YouTube and look this one up. This is Super Dave Osborne and Billy Martin. Now, Super Dave was the brainchild of comedian Bob Einstein, who's probably most known by people for Curb Your Enthusiasm, Marty Funkhauser. Uh, people might not know that, that Bob Einstein is actually the older brother of Albert Brooks, 
and this is a comedian family. Their dad was a huge comedian. But uh, Super Dave was this character that was created. He's a naive but optimistic stuntman uh, who was often gravely injured when his stunts went horribly wrong. And uh, Super Dave was a frequent guest of David Letterman. He had him on all the time, and he would do these bizarre stunts. And he made what? They go horribly wrong. Uh, so now he was on a show. There was a show called Bizarre, which is sort of a variety show, and Super Dave was a, was a character. And this was one of the segments on Bizarre. Uh, and it was, here's your toughest stunt yet. You're going to go to the Oakland Coliseum, and you're going to go insult Billy Martin to his face. And that was the setup. Super Dave just hurling a bunch of insults at Billy Martin and then having to deal with the consequences. And it's great when you watch the video because you see the Coliseum and it's pre-Mount Davis glory. It looks beautiful. This is 1981 when they did this. Um, Super Dave insults him. Billy finally has him follow him up the hallway to the A's clubhouse. You actually get a nice shot of what the A's hallway, which is still pretty much the same, that leads down to the field, going up to the clubhouse. Then Billy takes him into a closet and proceeds to kick the crap out of Super Dave. Just (laughs) kicks the crap out of him and then throws him out into the hallway. And Super Dave says it was his toughest stunt yet dealing with Billy Martin. It's fantastic. And at one point, Super Dave kind of had his own show, if I remember correctly. He had a Showtime show, I want to say. Like an early, when Showtime just started, I believe he was. Um, but he was great. He just, yeah. he had some great bits with Super Dave. But Super Dave and Billy Martin, awesome. Wow, that is, that 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 takes, and remember, Super Dave would always be in that red suit, and he was a pretty big guy. Yeah. And folks, you got you got to go look at they they used to shoot him out of a cannon and it wouldn't work. <laughs> he would like he was gonna be like he, he was like the bad evil Knievel, and he was like gonna jump cars and he'd run right into the car and he'd be so banged up. <laughs> oh, the good old days, Dave. Oh, super Dave. Loved I loved when he showed up on Letterman. All right, number three. Number three, this came out just a few years ago, the unauthorized. Bash Brother Experience, brought to you by the Lonely Island and Berkeley's own Andy Samberg, which 27-minute uh, little feature on Netflix that told the story of Conseco and McGuire through song, including guest appearances by Maya Rudolph, Sterling K. Brown, basically a <clears throat> excuse me a love letter to the late 80s days. I mean, some classic songs and I, just to see the, the beginning song with Conseco and McGuire and what they do and the, the the videography, the shots around Oakland, the uniforms. I mean, it was fantastic. It's a great, you got 27 minutes and just have a good time reliving McGuire and Conseco and the Bash Brothers. This is what you need to tune into. Yeah, that was a, uh, that was a lot of fun. That was, <laughs> that was, a, and you know, the thing is, it's like all the stuff we're talking about, we have probably so many listeners that are like, they have no, they have, you just got to go research. There was a lot of fun stuff that happened uh, back in the day. That's different than what you're going to, you know, we, we're now in the Netflix Hulu, you know, generation. What's the new thing out? Peacock, you know, that's it. This was a different time. And, and a lot of it was done on network television. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is just fantastic. I mean, Conseco himself even tweeted that he loved it. And couldn't stop laughing. And then, of course, Conseco wanted to be in the part two because, you know, it's Jose. He's got to jump on anything. Yeah. But just it really was a love letter to the A's. And then you could see that 
they they got the personalities down pat. I, it was brilliant. Number two. We talk about sometimes the A's showing up unexpectedly and just uh, blows your mind. I don't think anything was more unexpected uh, than watching The Simpsons back in 2006. And you're watching an episode, and it's all about Bart starting a curb painting service where he's going to paint your address number on the curb, but he, he doesn't finish in front of the Simpsons house. He only has a seven and four. And so all of a sudden Homer comes out and he finishes the painting by writing 74 Oakland A's best team ever. Cause Homer just wanted to tell the 74 Oakland A's how he felt about them. And then who pulls up the 74 Oakland A's pull up in a convertible. There's Sal Bando. There's Gene Tennis. Gino tells Sal to give Homer a 74 A's thank you, Hawk. And then they drive off. But out of nowhere, the 75 A's in a Simpsons episode, 74 A's in a Simpsons episode. How great is that? That is, that is great. I, that, I, I got to YouTube that. And that's what it, it was so, the scripts were so off the wall that like anybody could show up at any time. Yeah. Yeah, and then see the A's, and it's Homer. Homer just wanted to tell the 74 Oakland A's how he felt about them. How sweet is that? <laughs> that is good. And number one. Number one, I guess we could all guess it. It's Moneyball. Yeah. Uh, started as a book uh, written by Michael Lewis, Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game, uh, published in 2003, talking about exploiting deficiencies in the business of baseball and sort of the you know, I remember I was traveling with the A's in 2002, and Michael Lewis traveled with us for a little while, talking to everybody. Um, you know, and just it was it was a groundbreaking book. It was a business book set around baseball and talking about how the A's were able to find undervalued statistics and exploit that uh, things that were totally overlooked and now are not overlooked at all. And then, of course, the movie comes out in 2011. Uh, ben Miller directing and Sorkin from the West Wing writing it. Um, Brad Pitt and Billy Bean. I mean, just the A's were in the public consciousness in this all their glory, right? And one of the one of the top moments in A's history, the Scott Hattiesburg home run. Um, you know, recreated uh, fans being able to get involved in the movie making itself because fans were out there in the Coliseum night after night as the filming was going on, so they were part of it. Uh, it was just it was a special thing. This whole Moneyball nominated for Academy Award. Uh, it was special for the A's. I think the A's really embraced it, embraced being part of that whole the movie making time and seeing Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie running around the Coliseum. It was very, very cool. Yeah, it was. You know, I, I remember doing post game shows, and you know, whoever won the game, players would come out, high five, and everything, and the fans would start to go out, and I, you know, I'd be taking the phone calls and everything, and they would have to take the outfield wall apart and they'd have to turn it back into what it was back then. Right. It was, right. it was Fox sport. Was it Comcast or Fox? Fox sport. Sport? It was Fox, Fox sport. sport there, yeah. The Tampa Bay devil rays and the Montreal expos. And then to watch them recreate the outfield wall and just to watch the whole thing and watch it. It was kind of fast, you know, making of a movie looks kind of boring. Like the movie is great, but there's just a lot of downtime. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, and, and, and really was the first time I've ever watched. And I only got to see the stuff that was filmed at the Coliseum. Right. So, I mean, but I, it was like, it, 
there was a lot of waiting around for a lot of people doing that. It was a lot of waiting around, and that's kind of the movie making as you set these things. I remember they were they were doing the climatic home run, right? Chris Pratt having to hit a ball to right field, and he couldn't do it. He kept either fouling the ball off or missing the ball completely. And my parents were actually there that night, and they were talking about how long it was taking, just trying to get this shot of the swing and get it correctly. And, and you know, it's kudos to the, the movie makers that they wanted to get everything as close, as accurate as they could. Um, and they did a, a fairly good job. Obviously, there were, there were many inaccuracies in the movie. There was some license taken with things that was frustrating. You know, for me, the first time I saw the movie, it was hard not to watch it like a documentary, right? Because I had been there every day during the 2002 season. And to, to be able to kind of watch it, well, that didn't happen. It wasn't like that. You know, they didn't have to pay for their Cokes in the clubhouse. Uh, but then going back a second time and watching it as a movie, and that's what it is. It's a movie. It was a really enjoyable movie um, just to sit and watch. Yeah, they, they, they missed some things. But overall, I, I think as an entertaining piece of film, I, th- I thought that's what it was. It was very entertaining. All right, run down your top 10 pop culture with the A's once again. Number 10, too legit to quit, MC Hammer, dancing in sweet A's gear. Number nine, Ron Hassey, starring role in Field of Dreams. Number eight, Tupac Shakur, the movie Poetic Justice, decked out in A's gear. Number seven, Murder at the World Series, TV movie from 1977, the A's versus the Astros. Somehow the A's didn't win that World Series. Number six, Toy Story 4, Ricky Henderson bobblehead making an appearance. Number five, Highway to Heaven, Victor French and his A's cap. Number four, maybe my favorite, Super Dave Osborne and Billy Martin. Super Dave insults Billy Martin and lives to tell about it with a few extra broken bones. Number three, the unauthorized Bass Brother experience from Lonely Island. Number two, the 74 Oakland A's showing up on The Simpsons. And number one, A's in pop culture, Moneyball, both the book and the movie. By the way, I, I, I hate to say it, but right now I'm actually on Super Dave Osborne's uh, Wikipedia page. <laughs> it's worth the read. Oh, Great. God, he, he gets gravely injured every time. <laughs> And, and the picture they got of him is is, is the white suit. You know, honestly, even evil evil Knievel was the red suit. Super Dave was the white suit. Yeah, white, but he still had the stars and stripes like around the sleeve. Yeah, uh, he was he was fantastic. That's so good. Hey, another great list. You know what you mean to us here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We'll talk because, you know, we're only going to do one more show after this till uh, January. So it'll be a while before we talk with you. Be safe with you and the family, and we'll talk to you in 2021. All right. Happy holidays, everybody. Appreciate it. David Feldman breaking it down. Where else can you get Super Dave Osborne and the Oakland Athletics? Coming up next, our man Himbo. Paul Himbakides will join us as we dr- break down all of MLB right here and some trivia on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Shamanaya. Shamanaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Well, we had to talk to our buddy Himbo one more time before we head off for the Christmas and holiday break. Paul Himbakides from the morning show Get Up on ESPN. 
Himbo, how are you? It is good to see your uh, to see your face. It's good to hear your voice. It's been too long since we've had the chance to chat, but the baseball news hasn't really been all that hot. So uh, I guess we'll have to make up for lost time here today. Well, you know what I'm thinking about that is that, okay, yeah, it's not going to be the crazy winter meetings, but, but you know what? I think we're going to, in times where baseball was kind of just dead in January and February, I think we're going to have a lot of signings. I think there's a really good chance that we have a lot of signings now. From from all the from all the tea leaves that I've picked up on, what it seems to me is likeliest is that over the next couple of weeks, we see a flurry of moves, trades, free agent signings, a, a lot of the sort of normal winter meeting stuff that goes down and that we're going to see a massive lull in the month of January and maybe into February as we approach a hopeful spring training because my guess is that anybody that's all that desirable or someone at the very top of the market that's just going to wait it out, aside from those guys, it's going to be a collection of veteran types that were either non-tendered or you know hitting free agency at a time that might be not so advantageous for them, and teams are going to try to feast on that part of the market like vultures early in February and try to get guys for, you know a million or two million dollars, which is way below what they would have expected otherwise. But free agency just isn't really a destination anymore, as you as you well know. Yeah, especially after a sixty-game COVID nineteen, no fans in the stands. You just wanted to get the television money. Yeah, um, and, and I think, like you said. I think teams, I think some players will start to realize too when the offers aren't coming in that getting myself a decent one year deal uh, on a good team, like a team that gives you a chance to win, might be the best recipe for 2021. That's a good point. And I agree mostly with that. Although I don't know how much the, the good team piece of it matters. The example I'll use is Carlos Santana, who. Uh, for my money, is still a top 10 uh, player at his position right now. First base DH type, of course. He signed a two-year, $17 million deal with the Royals, a team that's probably on the come, but not likely a contender. But you could do a lot worse than making $17 million over the next two years to play baseball. I know that's not how the, that, uh, these guys think about it. That's how we think about it. Uh, but in my judgment, his decision to do that is a good example of something that players should do. Take a generational amount of money early in the offseason to secure your place and don't get frozen out because a player like him who doesn't play a premium position, who's not multi-skilled, who knows what the market's going to be like for you in March. This is a guy that might still be looking for a job at the All-Star break. We've seen that before, too. So I'm with you. I think players should be acting quickly along with their agents, recognizing that a, you know a one-year deal, a two-year deal is probably the best option here, especially given the fact that the, the next CBA is hopefully come, coming along the pike. And hopefully, again, that's more advantageous for me to, in, in the future. Whereas right now, if I get $8.5 million a year, as an example, that's perfectly good money to play baseball for the next couple seasons, given the uncertainty in the world right now. The first general manager I ever interviewed in my career was Dave Dombrowski when he was with the Florida Marlins. Oh, I thought you were going to say Branch Rickey. Okay, go on. <laughs> I just missed him. I just missed him. Uh, so, so I've gotten to know Dave over the years, and I uh -huh. and, and every single time I use that line, he'd always laugh, but he's always been very good. Um, he's a winner. There's no question about it. And now he's lurking around your fighting Phillies. <laughs> um, so you came to the wrong guy. Dave Dombrowski is the, is the, is the person I don't want. Uh, I don't want Brian Sabian. I don't want that kind of person. It, it is the Phillies. And that's because the Phillies aren't in a position to do what Dave Dombrowski is good at. Dave Dombrowski is a potential hall of fame executive that isn't to take anything away from him. What he accomplished in, uh, in Miami, what he accomplished in Detroit, what he accomplished in Boston, like his resume obviously speaks for itself, but the Phillies are in a position right now where 
it seems that it's overwhelmingly clear they can't spend the kind of money that Dave Dombrowski wants to, and that the Phillies aren't, I don't know, five, seven wins away from being a legitimate World Series contender. The Phillies are right now in a position of peril where the, the owner is very loudly saying, we don't want to spend this kind of money. I mean, how often do you see an owner come out and say, like, yeah, we can't sign our guy, in this case, JT Realmuto. So given the mixed messages coming out of the front office, and given the fact that the Phillies appear likelier to want to sort of rebuild or at least reset, then you know, go on and contending for next season, Dave Dombrowski's not the person I want. Now, I, I read yesterday that Josh Burns, the Dodgers second-in-command, isn't coming here. That's the kind of person I'm into. Thad Levine of the, of the uh, Twins would be another. Obviously, uh, Eric Neander from the Rays was a pipe dream always. Even Michael Hill of the Marlins might be a decent option. But from where I sit, Dave Dombrowski is not the kind of person that I want making that move, unless with him comes a person who specializes in scouting, player development, and analytics, and he's willing to allow Dave Dombrowski to just sort of oversee the whole operation. That would be the only exception in my in my judgment. So when you look at the Red Sox are not all in, Phillies are not all in, right. Chicago Cubs are not all in. I mean, you're talking big market teams. How many teams do you really think going into 2021 are all in and it's about winning the World Series? <laughs> well, I think the, it's an interesting question because this – this space and time is so much different than ever before that I think a team can not go for it and still feel like they are if the rest of the league has sort of agreed to that, right? Because like if a team like the Cardinals in one of the bigger markets in the league decide they can't pay Colton Wong, right? That's that, just as an example. How many teams are there like that? I mean, like you said, right? You're going to have the Yankees and the Dodgers spending money. You're going to have Artie Moreno spending money because he always did. The Mets have a new owner, so they'll obviously spend some money. But generally speaking, you're going to have 25 teams pulling back their budgets, I'm guessing, waiting to see what happens this year with fans in the stands and vaccinations, and then eventually what happens with the next collective bargaining agreement. So my guess is that what you're going to see is a couple teams at the very top like we did last year, the Dodgers being the most obvious example, and then you're going to see a bunch of teams going for like an 85 to 90 win threshold where they can make the playoffs, make noise and get lucky, but they're certainly not going to sell out to try and improve their position in such a way that maybe it gives them a 10% better chance to win their division. That's not how these executives think anymore. And this is the land of the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays. That's right. That's right. See, we feel we got a shot at the World Series. Rays obviously feel they have a shot at the World Series. And for our two organizations that have mirrored each other for so long, it's not about always just going out and spending money. You feel you can just outsmart people. Uh, and the Rays did that last year, and you've done that for years. Here's an interesting thing I'll throw your way, though, as it relates to that, because this offseason is obviously so fishy and so different. Last year, I came on your program and I said, I think your club should at least make a play for Mookie Betts because you're just you can sell out for a year. You have the capital. He's not going to cost 100 cents on the dollar, and he didn't. The package that the Dodgers gave up for Mookie Betts was an abject joke for someone who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Who's to say that the Rays or the A's or the Diamondbacks or some other small market club like it with aspirations of winning, can't do that same this year for Francisco Lindor, right? Francisco Lindor is, in my judgment, a top 10 player in baseball right now. He is a player who's somewhat affordable in 2021 by our standards and by the standards for, uh, by which he plays. And there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. He's a player for whom is probably going to increase almost any team's projected win total by two or three wins. He's a player for whom, if your team is not contending, you can probably get the same package or close to it at the trade deadline if you're not winning. And if, if this is sort of a... Um, a shotgun marriage uh, that's preordained the way that these things often can be, and you guys know what you guys sort of know the deal coming in. It's a really good opportunity for a, a sort of a, a summer fling that I don't think ends badly for either side. It gives him a chance to inflate his value, gives you a chance to make a run at the World Series. And what other what other opportunity would a club like yours get your hands on Francisco Lindor? What say you? 
Oh, I'm all I'm all about a summer fling. <laughs> it's, been, it's been over 20 years since I had a summer fling, but I remember how much fun those were. Uh, Your wife uh, doesn't listen to the program. <laughs> no, she does not. Uh, that makes two of us. <laughs> you know, I, it, it's it's you know I don't know what's going to happen with Marcus Simeon, but if there there is no Marcus Simeon and your option is Lindor and white cleats for one year, come on, how would you not want that? I I think we often overuse the term generational talent. Like Juan Soto is that, Mike Trout is that, maybe Mookie Betts is that, Francisco Lindor is not that, but he is a legitimate superstar. He is a, a very rare breed of five-tool talent at the shortstop position. Tell me if you like this comp or not. I think this is a good comp for Francisco Lindor because I think, I, think, I think we often miss the mark with him. To me, he's Roberto Alomar. I see so much Roberto Alomar in Francisco Lindor. Obviously, they don't play the same exact position, but a premium top-of-the-order bat playing in the middle of the diamond, a premium glove in the middle of the diamond, a player with a ton of energy who can run the bases at a high level too, a player who's likely to age well because he's so athletic and his, because his skill set is so diverse. Who, like, if I'm a club right now who's greedy, like I'm looking to tr- make a trade for him, lock him up as soon as I possibly can, I want him going into the Hall of Fame with my with my uh, with my cap on his plaque, like that's what I want, and that's the trajectory he's on. To me, that's a player on a Hall of Fame track who, though he hasn't really mashed the ball the last season or two, absolutely has a collection of skills to put it together. I like I, I think that's the best comp for him, Roberto Alomar. What do you think? And I think you're dead on, and I'll tell you why. Because the Padres originally wanted Roberto Alomar to be a shortstop. It's him who wanted Good to play pull. second base. Good pull. And the thing I, is, like, Francisco Lindor is so athletic and so skilled that he's going to be able to play shortstop through his early 30s and then transition over to second base. Like, It's it's not obvious to me that if you signed him, signed him to an eight-year deal, he's still going to be a value-positive player at the very end of that. Now, the question is, like, how, how much might his skills deteriorate and how much is he going to hit? But like, how many guys, when you look at these, when you look at these guys that get mega contracts, right? A lot of them have been corner, like infield, outfield types that don't age well. Francisco Lindor is the exact opposite. He's going to hit the free agent market at a time in which he is in his prime, playing a premium position, with no obvious reason to suspect he's going to decline the way that, say, Albert Pujols did or Josh Hamilton did or any number of other guys. To me, like, there's never been a a more sort of like home run type big contract to give. Like even. Even Bryce Harper doesn't, can't hold a candle to him in terms of the expectation moving forward. I mean, I think you're getting six, seven, eight good years out of the guy. To me, he's the most. That makes the Indians are the most, absolutely the biggest player in the free agent in, in the uh, offseason market this year because they have the premium talent. The the Alomar comp is so good. Good on you, because yeah. uh, I, I, I saw that firsthand growing up in San Diego. If Alomar stays at shortstop, they don't trade him. But the fact that he wanted to play second base, the Padres went, we're going to second base. So they off Joe Carter and Roberto Alomar for Tony Fernandez and the crime dog, Fred McGriff. And, so and, 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 and I think it's a good point. And, and, I th- and I think there is also something to be said about the, the energy and popularity that, that Francisco Lindor brings to the club into a fan base. Like Cleveland is... If we're going to be honest, Cleveland's a bad baseball town. They don't show up for their team. Obviously, the stadium isn't beautiful and the, and the weather stinks, but they don't come. They're always in the bottom five or so in attendance. Even when that team is super good, it's hard to galvanize the group. You put him in a, in a, in a real baseball town, a town that loves their baseball, I'm not so sure that he doesn't become an absolute mega star. And look, he knows that. He's got the best smile in the game. he got the bluest hair in the game. I, I, I'm, I'm just, to me, they have, the Indians hold the crown jewel of the offseason, and now is the time to trade them. Now, I think you could argue the best thing for them would be to just wait it out and try and win again next year. But that's a club that cuts payroll back so far that they should be dangling him and, and, and just offering 
you know, him up to the highest bidder. If there's anything working against them, it's that Semyon is available, right? It's, it's that the shortstop market this offseason is such that Andrews and Simmons is available too. Like you, you can probably get a player for, for much, for, for, for much less, even for 2021 and not have to give up any prospect capital to do it. Like you would with Lindor. All right. You got some trivia for us. I got some trivia for you today. So we'll, we'll have, we'll have some good fun with this. I try to theme these as best as I could uh, off season style. Because it's been a while since we did this, by the way, it's been much too long since I stumped you and made you look silly on your own program. Uh, my first question for you is this, which player owns the record for largest contract by average annual value? Which player on a per year basis is paid more than any in the history of Major League Baseball? It's someone making like 32, 31, or maybe more than that. I'll go Max Scherzer. So Max Scherzer is incorrect. Max Scherzer makes 30 a year. He's, high on, this. He's high on this list. I'll give you another crack at this. It's a, it's a, it's a pitcher with an, with an active contract. Obviously, it's an active contract, but it's not Scherzer. It's, a different, it's actually a different arm. Surprised me when I looked it up this morning. This is the reason I'm asking. Kershaw? No. The answer is Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole's deal last year. Wow. Garrett Cole's deal last year off um, 36 a year. So, and I totally had forgot about this. So, Mike Trout uh, had previously on the record at 35.5, and then Steven Strasburg and Rendon are next at 35 each, 35 flat. But Garrett Cole, on, a, on an average annual value basis, $36 million, the highest paid player in Major League history by that standard. All right. They're, they're all the guys that were recently signed. Correct. And I, I suppose that should be encouraging for players now at the top of the market that can think to themselves, well, maybe I can still get the, like, if you're a premium talent, we'll still pay you like a premium talent. Speaking of premium talents, I asked this question with the backdrop of JT Real Muto being our next uh, item of conversation. Who are the only two catchers to ever sign a nine-figure contract? $100 million plus contract. Only two catchers have ever done it. $100 million deal. Yeah. Pudge Rodriguez. Pudge never did it. Pudge, Pudge, Pudge did did smaller deals. Um, Pudge did smaller deals. He's also a little bit early for the for yeah. most of these guys are, are more recent too. Got a catcher that signed for a hundred million dollars. Who what? Cody? See, Cody sits there from the catbird seat and acts like he knows everything. One of them, <laughs> one of them is Buster Posey. Buster Posey is one of them. He he signed. He he owns the second largest catcher contract ever. He signed a nine year. 167 um, in the 2012-13 offseason with the Giants. So that's one. The other one here Brian is for McCann. 184. It was also an extension. It's not Brian McCann? It is not Brian McCann. Brian McCann made an awful lot of money in his career, but he never signed a deal. Of that Joe matter. Maurer. Joe Maurer is correct. Good pull. So Joe Maurer signed an eight-year 184 with the Twins in the offseason between 09 and 10. We've talked about this before. At least I recall us doing so. But where do we stand on Joe Maurer's Hall of Fame candidacy? Yes, in. You're yes, in. I'm a, I'm a, um, I think he's a fence guy. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm more in line with you. Like, the, the peak was extraordinary, but you have to sustain it a little bit. Like, he was, he's out of the game. Like, he's pretty much a useless player by his early 30s. It was, it was all, once you got him out of the Metrodome, he couldn't put up numbers. Yeah, he was definitely a product of his environment there. So, I, I'm with you on that, Chris. I think, I think Mal, like, Mal was an extraordinary player. And I think he'll actually be the kind of guy who, you know, stack geeks like me can, can make the numbers really sing. Um, I don't think you'll, well, you might have the chance to do that with Posey too, because of all of his accolades, but those are both interesting cases we can touch on another time. I asked this question because of Trevor Bauer's free agency. So he won the Cy Young award last season, of course, for the Reds. They had never had a Cy Young winner, which means there are only three teams remaining 
that have never had a pitcher win a Cy Young Award? Only three. How many of those can you pull? Rockies. The Rockies never have and never will have a Cy Young winner. That's uh, that, that was, that's kind of a no-brainer. Correct. Um, they got to win the Cy Young. That's right. Marlins. The Marlins is also correct. They have never had a Cy Young winner. Although, God rest his soul, Jose Fernandez would have almost certainly won one. He was absolutely electric. Ud- oh, Ubaldo, Jimenez, Ubaldo Jimenez once finished third. There was that one year that you might recall the All-Star break. He was like a you know, sub-one ERA. Because I'm thinking of teams that haven't been great and they're kind of expand. Well, they are expansion teams. Um, and there's only one more. Uh, Jose Fernandez finished third once and seventh once. I'm going to say the Texas Rangers. Oh, my gosh. Ding, ding. Ding. The Texas Rangers are the third team. That is correct. They have never had a Cy Young winner, which is always my always can provide my friendly reminder that Nolan Ryan never won one, which most people don't know. I'm not sure he's the best pitcher to never win a Cy Young award, but I think you could easily argue that based on all the value he produced everywhere he went throughout his career that he could be number one on that list. Let's see here. I got two more questions for you. Um, who was the first player to ever sign? Excuse me. Who's the first Major League Baseball player to ever sign? a $100 million contract. Kevin Brown. Oh, well done. So that's a question that you either you either know that or you don't. Like, that's not one that you figure out. I thought you might guess someone else. So uh, let, me, let me pull up this list by by uh, by year because this was really fascinating earlier to go into. So the, the earliest ones were Kevin Brown. He signed a 7-100. And then the very next, uh, let's see here, in 2000, the offseason between 2000 and 2001, that was the year that we had four, A-Rod, Manny, Mike Hampton, and Ken Griffey Jr. And that was the year, that was a 10-252 for A-Rod, two and a half times any contract that had yeah. come before him. It's still crazy, right? It's still crazy. Um, and also, equally as crazy, Mike Hampton got an 8-121 for, for Colorado and cited the reason he signed with the Rockies because he liked their school system. great <laughs> schools. Oh my gosh, um, that's, that's that's tremendous. You'd think that Mike Hampton had enough guap to put his kid through private school. Okay, my last question for you is this: We're going back to our where we started actually with Francisco Lindor. So this surprised me because Francisco Lindor has played six seasons. He's got 138 career bombs. That ranks third among shortstops all time. So what I looked at was most home runs among shortstops through six seasons. Who who are the only two with more? Through, I got to go A-Rod. A-Rod is correct. So A-Rod hit 148 home runs in his first six seasons. A couple of those were abbreviated. That ranks second on this on this list. Second? Second. second? And you'll, you'll know. If you, if you don't get it, you'll kick yourself, I think. Uh, it's a lot of home runs. Yeah, the number here is 183. A buck 83 in the first six seasons for this shortstop. 30 a year. It's a marvelous start to his career. He's not a Rocky, right? <laughs> no, he's not a Rocky. I know this is not going to be right, but I'll have to go Cal Ripken Jr. Cal Ripken's, okay, it's a good guess. So, and, there, and, and, and you mentioned the Rocky. So, here, A-Rod's two, Lindor's three. Um, Trevor Story is actually fourth, and yeah. Cal Ripken is fifth. Um, number one on this list, Cody, do you have a guess, by the way? Well, when Chris said it wasn't a Rocky, I was going to say Tulo, but it's not him, clearly. No, it's not Tulowitzki. Ernie Banks is the answer to this question. So Ernie Banks um, from 1953 to 1958 hit 183 bombs. He, he is a, a, 
just an absolutely fascinating study. He went, obviously went back-to-back MVPs on terrible teams, like a very unique place in baseball history. He actually played more games at first base uh, cumulatively than he did at shortstop, which a lot of people don't know. But he still he, he went into the Hall of Fame as a shortstop, and he's still obviously remembered as a shortstop because his best years early in his career were as a shortstop. But he hit the ground running early in his career. His first few seasons, uh, he finished second for Rookie of the Year, then a third-place MVP finish, uh, a sixth, a first, a first, a fourth. The beginning, I mean, his 20s were truly extraordinary and probably would have gotten him into the Hall of Fame all by themselves. And thank you, he had to play all those day games. Yeah. And sometimes two at a time. Yeah. Cody and I, tried, did we ever figure out the action? The number of doubleheaders they played was insane. <laughs> and, he, and he liked them. Uh, and, he, and Ernie Banks played every game. Like Ernie Banks played every single game in 55 in 54, in 57, 8, 9, and 60. He he always played. He He's a, a real gem in baseball history, and though I think he's sometimes probably overrated, actually, in terms of the amount of value he really produced, what he did in his 20s and what he did and how he hit there, it's sort of hard to overstate. He's a legitimate all-time great, um, obviously a beloved figure, and the all-time uh, leader in shortstop home runs through six seasons arbitrarily. So um, it's a fun one. That's what I got for you today. All right, that's going to do it uh, until after Christmas for us with you. Um, it's going to be a special Christmas because it's the first one for you in the new house. It's the first one for us in the new house. I have a new puppy, um, a, a nine-week-old Cavapoo, whose name is Chase. I named him after Chase Utley, my favorite filly of all time. Uh, not surprisingly, he's a he's a uh, ornery little squirt, but we're enjoying him. I'm, I'm enjoying um, my smoker as well, obviously. So Thanksgiving was a delight with the family. I've been, I smoked my, probably my best rack of ribs last weekend. So I'm really embracing the suburban life quite quickly. It's probably not going to be too long before I'm, you know, dropping off kids at school. Hopefully. Uh, I was going to say, well, you, you know, once you get a dog, kids are right around the corner. Like the, the biological time clock with my wife is like, it's like doing this thing. Like, we're just like <laughs> I should just already start adding rooms to our house. That's way too big for us already. Like I just, we are way, way freaking ahead of schedule i can say that but yeah well, what, what, at least that was an earshot <laughs> what, 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 once you're able to handle the dog the kids are right around the corner yeah i mean right now like we're having a tough time with the going out schedule like this is an every half an hour sort of deal like he's got no stamina so it's a tough it's a tough putt especially when the only thing you want to do outside is bite the is bite the leash and like pick up little shards of walnut so i mean this 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 thing is going to have this thing's going to be have a bunch of little pebbles for my driveway sit in his stomach for the next 15 years how uh, how cold is it? Cold. Uh, we're at like 20, 25 degrees when you wake up in the morning, and we're getting to like forty during the day. So like we're like buckled in. We're buckled in. Oh God! You know it's been it's been real rough here. When I'm when I'm teeing off around ten fifty, it's like you know sixty sixty one. <laughs> sun's out. You know I I'll be playing for the third time on Friday. It's it's brutal. I mean, other than being locked down. Uh, that's brutal, but uh, golf is a still a going. Him, you, you can't see my hands, but I have two fingers pointed your way. Not, uh, from my from my from my palatial state in New Jersey, I'm not I'm not too happy with that taunting that you're doing from three thousand miles away. So, do will you will, will there be a, a himbo clause, and you'll be doing something special for Christmas? <laughs> Who knows where we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be? Not able to even do anything. Like <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm taking off the week from work at least. Probably probably use that time to catch up on my sleep and maybe and hopefully my book. But otherwise, it's gonna we're just you know plowing ahead and and waiting to get that vaccine in my arm. Uh, you are the best, himbo. Have a great Christmas, buddy. Happy New Year. And we'll talk to you in January. Later, boys. Paul Himbakides coming up next. 
Ray Fossey will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. And it's Thursday. That means it's a Ray Fossey day. Cody, hit it. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Good afternoon, Ray. Tony, good afternoon to you and Cody to you as well. I know you guys are just uh, moving right along on this holiday season and uh, the virtual winter meetings are in place and I know you'd rather be on site, but unfortunately that's not happening. So uh, everything is good. Everything's going fine. Let's uh, just hope everybody can enjoy the Christmas time, the, the whatever religion they're celebrating during this period of time, but uh, it's a special time of the year. And uh Best to you and Cody and your families as well. Have you ever had a chance ever to go to the winter meetings? I have not, and I have no desire to. <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I'm sure it's – I've heard of players going. I've heard, obviously, agents are there. Uh, I have never been to one. Uh, back when I played, you know, we were under contract until free agency came about in 76, and at that point, uh, I don't even remember what winter meetings taking place. I'm sure they did. Uh, but, no, I've never been to one. I, I'm sure it's exciting. You've been to them, I, I assume. Um, and you've had guests on, I know, in the past that uh, I'm sure you have a, or had a place set up for you and Cody and interview people. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a very exciting time. But, you know, it, it's a matter from what I've read of how many deals actually are consummated during that period of time, or is it just a matter of uh, – Talking, I read something David Force said that um, that from what had happened in the past, it's a whole bunch of people from the other side or another team sitting on one side. And so there, there was social distancing even before this took place. But uh, it, it's more so now. But I, I feel badly for people like you and Cody that you're not on site and being able to interview some of these people, especially players um, who are, are free agents and looking for a new team. Well, you, you know, I think it was very important at, at, at one point that everybody get together. I still think it's important, but I'll, I'll explain to you is, you know, when you do business, doing it face to face is far different <laughs> yeah. than doing it from a phone. And I agree 100%. So before we had Zoom, which, by the way, Ray, I wish I would have invested in Zoom. I look back on it. <laughs> um, imagine we never knew Zoom was going to get this big. Uh, but, but, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, you know, you're, you, you go into somebody's hotel suite and you hammer out a deal. But now from the standpoint of the front office people, they can get on their computers. They can be on Zoom. They can see each other face to face and they can they can talk it out. What, what, what now changes is all the different people who are trying to get jobs inside the industry, they yeah. were the people walking the floors. They were the people having the meetings out in front of everybody. And now there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a couple years. And I think it's going to affect the minor leagues. It's going to affect uh, baseball in general, you know, because we only think about it as the big league level. But the entire business will be affected because so many people not being hired, not being in the game. So that's what I think we truly miss out with the winter meetings is all the stuff that just – 
isn't dealing with Major League Baseball players. You know, that's a great uh, point, Tony. And, and, you know, really didn't really think about it because when you asked me if I'd been there, I was thinking more as a player, broadcaster, or whatever. But, you know, I can think of talking to various people when we were traveling. Uh, hotels, for example, uh, uh, the administrators or the people in charge of group, um, the groups, I guess you could say, would go and, and try to entice a team, say, to come to their hotel and uh, be able to talk to them face to face. I agree with you about the face to face part, uh, because I, I never like if I'm going to deal with somebody, I'd rather be able to talk to them face to face, see the reaction versus the telephone, because, you know, a person could be multitasking, multitasking and and not even paying attention as much, but you get them face-to-face. I agree with you that that's important, but I also agree with you that the peripheral, as far as, uh, you know, sure, the players and the ownership and general managers and now uh, the, the vice president, president of baseball operations, they're trying to get done uh, deals done, but it's the other people trying to get jobs in the interest, industry. I think it's important, and I know we have talked throughout the year about Unfortunately, the, the, the people who have lost their jobs, the concessionaire people, the uh, uh, souvenir people, et cetera, like that. But, you know, I can see, like you said, that it could be a while before these places, um, you know, Mickey Morbido probably, I think, has uh, been around a long time. I have, and he has as well. And, and Mickey, as the traveling secretary, said, you know, you guys should be traveling this year. We're staying in some great places, you know, but, but that's his job. You know, he has a budget that's given to him by the ball club. And he goes to a certain hotel. He knows how many rooms he's going to need on certain dates. The airlines doing everything in that regard. So there's a lot. There are a lot of things that go on other than just a player uh, trying to get a job for the future as a free agent. And and I think that is something that I'm glad you brought that up because there are a lot more jobs at stake now uh, that maybe won't be filled, or at least maybe somebody said, well, we're just going to go with who we've had in the past versus hearing from somebody new. And that's going to hurt maybe both sides because, uh, you know, the, the new people coming in, maybe they have, in case of a property, maybe it's a good property that they want to get exposure by having a team come in there. Uh, I, I will say this, that Mickey and most teams, if not all, do a very good job of making sure that people really don't know where teams are staying so that they're not bombarded with, uh, with people outside the hotel or usually signs are outside the hotel and, you know, if you're not staying here, don't come to the lobby, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, it, this is a different year, and, and that is a great point that you bring up about how things have changed in regard to those various uh, parts of the game. Well, having traveled with the A's and getting off the bus at hotels, there always seem to be some uh, Ray Fossey fans with memorabilia <laughs> for you to sign. I think I, I, I still think you're one. As we call you the face of the franchise, I've seen it on the road. <laughs> Well, it, it, to be honest, it's an honor, and, and I've always felt, and, and, you know, it's the time when people stop asking you, that's when you should be concerned, and, and if you go through your time as a, in, in your career as a player, broadcaster, coach, whatever it might be, and you're asked by somebody, and granted, you, you know that some of the things are being sold, well, if they can make money off my card, my signature, good, I hope, they're not going to make a ton of money, I know that, and I don't care, but but I think if you walk by somebody, you turn them down, I, I think you're, you're to disservice because that is something that comes with the territory. That comes as a major league player. And I remember several years ago, uh, there, there was a player who said, you know, we are not um, – people don't look up to us. Yes, they do. P, you know, kids look up to major league players. 
And, and I think that is what has to be uh, important for players when they're playing or when they retire, if they're out and about and somebody does ask you for an autograph and they have something. And see, the thing about my cards, Tony, the older type cards, you can use a Sharpie and it doesn't bleed because there's not as much wax on the old cards. So, you know, it makes it pretty nice. But these people are pretty sharp. Uh, the, the worst thing that I see, though, when, when we arrive at a place at two or three in the morning and look out and see kids and people out there looking for an autograph and then everybody walks right by them. And so if they ask me, I sign because, you know, it takes time to get your kid and do all those things as well. But, but it's still, um, they, they've somehow find out where the teams are staying and they'll, they'll come in and, and try to get autographs. The same people will be there. I, in New York, I've seen them be outside the hotel in New York asking for autographs. And by the time the team bus gets to, let's say Yankee stadium, those same people are there trying to get autographs. They know the system. They know the train service, and they know how long it takes. And uh, now that there's a back interest at Yankee, uh, entrance at Yankee Stadium, they can't even do that because old Yankee Stadium, you actually got out of the bus and you had to walk through. They had the barricades up on the sides, and you walked between those barricades, and you had the fans on the sides asking for autographs. And you would see some of the same people you'd see at the hotel. And uh, I give them a lot of credit uh, for doing it. They, a lot of times they're collectors and that's, their, that's what they want to do. And uh, I had someone tell me, a, a father say to me one time, he says, you know, all my son wants to do is collect baseball cards and get autographs. I said, so? I said, he's not getting in trouble, is he? Because if you're doing that, you're not getting in trouble. And, and I think there is nothing wrong uh, with collecting cards, which I started to do when you know, I was about five, six years old myself and uh, different times then than now, uh, as far as the, um, uh, the the grading of the cards and stuff like that. Times have changed as has baseball, but still, it's a great part of the game. And uh, I still enjoy being out at Heritage Park in Cleveland with you, Tony, and being able to uh, be a part of what Tom, uh, Bobby DiBiasco did out in Cleveland in center field. And you got a chance to see that firsthand. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. The way that uh, the Cleveland Indians have honored the great players that have played inside the organization. And, you know, Ray, as a pro athlete, you're a creature of habit. And there's like certain times in the off season where you start saying, you know, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going I'm to start lifting now. I'm going to start running now. I'm going to start throwing now. Or it's this date where I'm going to really start hitting. You went through that last year as a baseball player, and then you got shut down. And then yeah. you had to wait, 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 and then it was summer camp. If 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 you're going into this season, I, I, are you going to wait a little bit to see if if you've got some some knowledge of when things are going to start? Because the last thing you want to be doing is heating up, cooling down, heating up, cooling down. Yeah. I, I think, Tony, to be honest, I think it's uh, and maybe last year players did learn, but I think it's called getting ready in moderation. And you're right, there is a certain timetable. But I will say this, that because salaries are the way they are right now, players, especially major league players, players that stay on the 40-man roster, uh, and maybe even not a lot of those in the back end of the 40-man roster. But if they got a good bonus, maybe they don't have to work. But I, I think in the case of a major league player, with the minimum salary being what it is, and with salaries being what they are, I think what a player can do when the season ends, he may take a week or two weeks to shut it down, but then start gearing it up again. And as January rolls around, February is when spring training begins, you really start getting into it more. 
I do not think that players today completely shut it down like we did. And I say we in my era because we worked in the offseason. I had jobs uh, because you're making seven to $12,000 a summer. You're not, you can't sustain your lifestyle or any sort of a lifestyle in the wintertime. And if you have a family and you have children, you have to do something to bring in some money. But if, if you have even the minimum salary, you can save enough that you can go through the off season. But I, I think what's going to happen is that players did learn from last year as they go into 21 they may say, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. I, I think sooner than later, they are going to have some idea of what's going to be happening in spring training, when it's going to begin. But uh, I would hope that, again, it's done in moderation, that you try and, you know, what you, you hear say during spring training, the peaks and valleys of, of things that say happen uh, during mid-spring uh, training where a pitcher gets a dead arm. He gets that because he's worked to get ready to pitch and you know as a pitcher but but then all of a sudden you're in the competition and what you've done to get ready with your arm strength and your legs it's not the same as being on the mound let's say in spring training and that's why scott emerson the ace pitching coach and i'm sure all the other pitching coaches gradually build up their, their pitchers to get to the point where they're ready to go by opening day now if we don't know when opening day is I think it can be backed up, but I don't think it's ever going to be to the point where a player is going to completely shut it down. I think Liam Hendricks had a great season, a 60-game abbreviated season, because he threw during the shutdown like he was getting ready for spring training, and I think that helped him. You don't have to overthrow, but just throw. Get your arm loose. Make sure that you can do things that once it's set, decided of when it's going to start, you can say, okay, I can start gearing up because when they do decide, there's still going to be plenty of time, whether you're a pitcher or position player, to get ready. And if you're not ready, all you have to do is say, I'm not ready, and they're not going to push you. But, uh, you know, you're right. Players are creatures of habit, but I think a lot of them learn from last year and going into 21, I think they're going to learn even more and maybe wait to see what's going to be happening. But I don't believe players are going to completely shut it down and wait and wait and wait. And all of a sudden, you know, you, you, maybe you gain some weight, you try to lose the weight, but if you do it in moderation and you kind of stay in shape, keep the legs in shape, keep your arm in shape, that when they decide when it's going to start, you can gear up because you kind of know that's going to happen. And I believe this year, kind of going into 21. And again, I'm speaking only from my standpoint of what I think, I think based on what did happen in 2020, going into the 21 season, that once the commissioner decides, okay, we're going to start X date, X number of people can be in the stands, and we're going to have some sort of, I mean, obviously the, the players have to agree, but I think going into 22, when the CBA expires in December, a year from now, uh, I, I think they're going to be um, more concerned about playing as much as possible this year, not knowing what's going to happen in 22. So I, I think there's, there was a learning process in 2020 that's going to help in 21. But I think from what you're talking about, there's going to be plenty of time once it's decided when spring training is going to start, when the season is going to start, and then they can go forward and be ready to go. I don't think, uh, personally, I don't believe there's going to be a spring training, shut it down, and then not know when it's going to start again. I think they would wait until they can get some sort of, of a definitive date for spring training to start knowing that, okay, you're going to go in spring training, the season's going to start at this time, 
and we're going to go into it without any hesitation. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that one. And uh, I can't wait to hear that date so we can really start no, pre- preparing for it. You know, Ray, in certain sports, it's easier to chase championships, whether it's football, basketball, mm-hmm. hockey. Uh, I just, you know, talking to a lot of different people lately and knowing that the climate is not what you want it to be. And it may just be better to say, you know what, I'm going to try and sign. Like, you didn't have to chase championships. You got traded to it, one, two quick ones, and there you had championships. If I'm a Ray Fossey and I'm a free agent and I haven't won a championship yet, wouldn't it be ideal to say, you know what, I'm going to sign a one-year deal and I'm going to sign with, I don't know, Dodgers, Yankees, A's, Rays, somebody that's going to have a chance to win a championship and then everything gets reset. I agree 100%. And I would say more, but you can't go more than 100% because that's the maximum. But I agree with you because if you're in that category, now David Force was asked about, let's say the bullpen, 80 relievers are on the market, 80. And we talked, I think last week about the number of players in general that are on the market. And it's a bad time to be a free agent. It's also a good time to be a free agent if you're good, but I think it's a buyer's market. It's, a, it's an owner's, general manager's market because they can pick and choose uh, who they want to have on their club. But, uh, no, I agree with you because, you know, you, and the nice thing to me whenever I see a player who's making money, like Mookie Betts, I'll throw him out as an example. Look how happy he was to win a world championship. That's the second one he'd won. But he signs this huge contract. And he was so excited to win the world championship. And I think that sets him apart in a sense that no matter what the money is, being able to wear that world championship ring and say, I'm a world champion. And knowing in that particular year, there were only 25 players on that roster. Now it would be 26, of course. I have to keep reminding myself. But, um, though, you know, it's a special time because there's a world champion, only one every year. And if you can sign a one-year deal and you can be a world champion, let's say, as you're talking about, the next year things are back to normal, your resume shows you're a world champion. It shows that you know what it's like to win. You know what it's like to be able to pass that information on to players who are sitting next to you or playing next to you that have never won. Because now you can talk to them saying, I've been there. I know what it's like to go through the wild card, the division, the league championship, and the World Series to be world champions. I mean, you're looking at a lot of baseball games that you have to win in the month of October to become a world champion. So when you do become one, you set yourself apart from a lot of other players who have played the game. You, you think of some of the greats in the past that are no longer with us, that never, ever got a chance to play on a world championship team, much less win a world championship. So I agree with you. If you can surround yourself with players who are good and you yourself become good because of your surroundings, it cannot do anything except help you when you become a true free agent and get out in the market and teams start looking at you. Because I think those players who are in that category are going to be ones that if I'm an owner, general manager, um, vice president, president of baseball operations, and he's out there in the market, I want to say he knows what it's like to win. I want a winner versus somebody who's been a perennial loser. On, on, or on a losing club. I won't say a loser because individuals are not, but their teams 
are not winners. They, they don't win world championships. But if you can surround yourself with players to help yourself become a world champion, I think that is the best advice you could be given. And I hope people and players are listening to that as they are going through this week and going through the free agency and getting ready for the 21 season. Yeah, because, you know, Ray, everybody wanted to always sign by the winter meetings, but the game has kind of changed a little bit. And who knows? Your value could change. We don't know how many roster spots are going to be allowed. Is it 26? Is it 28? Is it 30? I mean, and that can change your value with the team. And it may be better for you to sign in February. Well, I agree. And you look at Bryce Harper and uh, Manny Machado, didn't they? It was spring training for them, wasn't it? That they signed their contracts. And so, no, I agree with you that if, if you can wait and, and determine the market at that time, yeah, I think it's going to be good. Uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, he's one of the top premier free agents as a pitcher. Uh, I, I'm sure he's going through this right now. Should he sign? I mean, he, he may have his mindset, but I, I, I think with him, I think it's more of, Who's going to win? Who has a chance to win? For him, I think that's what he's looking for. But uh, uh, if it means having to wait a little bit, what's wrong with waiting? What's wrong with waiting to see exactly what's going to be happen, happening in 2021? Because maybe if you're a free agent and you're looking for a multi, multi-year deal, maybe you're not going to get it if you sign too early or you, you may say, I want to wait just to see what the market's going to be bearing. And, and be able to do it that way. But, you know, that's an excellent point. And, and that's why I say a lot of times here we are, you know, a couple of weeks away from Christmas and the holiday season where maybe the general managers and uh, ownership, they're talking about signing a free agent or general managers making a trade that maybe the, the groundwork has been set. But I agree with you that it's probably not going to be consummated until after the first of the year and maybe even closer to spring training. I don't believe, you know, players, and we go back to the thing about that uh, when you start getting in shape, because players are in shape. It's not like you're working at a job and not doing anything to get yourself or keep yourself in shape. I think that players are able to sign as late as some do, because when they do sign, they can step right into spring training and as a position player, take a few rounds of batting practice and say, I'm ready to go, because they have been taking batting practice or a pitcher has been throwing, maybe not to live hitters, but throwing and ready to go. So he throws a few rounds of batting practice and he's ready to go. I think it's different in that regard now that it has been in the past and or was in the past to the point that, you know, we can do that. Uh, we can see some of those late signings. Tony, hey. I, I do, I do, I, I do want to clarify something I said last week and it, it kind of bothered me because we're talking about Sonny Gray and Ryan Ruah getting a base hit. It's that Bob Feller is the only pitcher to have pitched a no-hitter on opening day. Not a complete game, which I incorrectly said. And I know there's some people listening saying, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. But, you know, I, I knew there was something wrong with what I was saying. But when Sonny Gray had the no-hitter going, it was could he match what Bob Feller, the only one that has ever done uh, and still, he's the only one that's ever pitched a no-hitter on opening day. So I want to clarify that before we, we close this out. Well, I got to say this. Uh, earlier this year, you said, uh, if you're the Texas Rangers, why would you shop Lance Lynn when you need Lance <laughs> Lynn? Uh, what, 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 what did you think when you found out the White Sox acquired him? Well, I thought the Texas Rangers were saying, we have a brand-new stadium, and we're going to be bad because he was their ace. And, you know, you talk about a good deal for the White Sox. 
And, you know, we said before, or I know I said before, and I strongly believe that if Tony Larusa had been manager, the A's might not have gotten through the wild card game because with Lynn now added to our wild card series, but with Lynn now, he would have been pitching that third game. That would have been a different story for the athletics than what it turned out because Giolito pitched a great game. The A's got to Dallas tackle in game two. And then, what, every pitcher on their, uh, the White Sox staff pitched in game three, and the A's won it, which I'm glad they did. But I, I think what Lance Lynn is going to do for that rotation, I, I, I think of two things. Number one, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, I think he wants another world championship badly. So he's willing to make a deal and not worry about the future. If it happens now, we'll take it. And I think for Tony LaRusso to come back, and it, I, I think I read that Lance Lynn was the first pitcher that um, when he pitched for the Cardinals, that Tony DeRusa managed him there. So now he gets to manage him again and uh, have him be in their rotation. They've got a very good club. If they can stay healthy, that central division is, is going to be very, very tough for anybody other than the White Sox to win. I was, you know, for $8 million, considering he signed a $30 million deal for three years, and I guess it was front-loaded. Normally they backload them, but from all indications, it was $8 million for him for the 2021 season. That is a great deal for someone who can pitch as well. I, I don't like this innings thing. He can eat innings. I like a guy who can pitch and pitch well. Lance Lynn can do that. And I don't care how big he gets, what kind of beard he has, and, and, but I, I think he's going to be outstanding for the Chicago White Sox because they have a good rotation, a good club. Now, as far as the Rangers, uh, they've already told Elvis Andrus, you're not playing shortstop. you got the gold glove third baseman, Connor Falefa, who's gone from third base to shortstop. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. But I don't think they're going to be – maybe they'll be like the Seattle Mariners in the Western Division. Maybe it will be kind of a, a, a three-team – three, two, I don't know. Uh, yeah, three teams with Houston. The Angels are, are kind of going in the same direction trying to win. And we know what the A's are trying to do. So, yeah, I, I think from the Rangers' standpoint, they felt, hey, we, if we can get something to help us in the future, let's do it. Lance Lynn was the biggest ticket. They got rid of him, which I was shocked. Uh, because if you're going to do that, well, at least they did it so the White Sox have him for a full year. You know, the worst thing would have been to do it at the trading deadline because then he becomes a rental player. He's a rental player anyway. But um, what I'd heard originally when he signed with the Rangers for three years, he only wanted two. And the Rangers ended up giving him three. So maybe that's why it was front-loaded. And then as it turns out, it's a pretty good deal, great deal, I think, for the White Sox. And I think we see the direction that the uh, Texas Rangers are going in. Uh, yeah. Have you ever seen a team open up a new ballpark and say, yeah, we don't want to win? <laughs> well, the Pittsburgh Pirates opened up a new park and they didn't win. It wasn't that they weren't trying to win. They just didn't win. And I think the lack of attendance proved to be that. But um, you know, again, before we close out, and I know, I don't know your guest list, Cody does a great job, but uh, we lost another great player in the great Dick Allen, who played the one season in 77 for the athletics. He, uh, he passed away this past Monday and, and what a tremendous, tremendous hitter. And I think from all indications, he was one vote shy of the hall of fame, uh, the veterans committee, one vote shy, he'll get in, but unfortunately he's not going to be around for the acceptance speech and the Phillies going to retire his number this past year. That didn't happen. And unfortunately, uh, he passed away on Monday. But, uh, Tony, if, if you think of a hitter that can use a 42-ounce bat to hit, that tells you the man is very strong. And Dick Allen was as strong a hitter as I've ever seen. 
Well, we went over his numbers, Ray, and I know there's some backstories and uh, I, I, you know, I just, but I looked at the numbers and I said, these are hall, these are hall of fame numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Not the veterans committee hall of fame. I agree. I agree. I'll tell you a quick story. 1972, Chuck Tanner was managed Chicago White Sox. Dick Allen was playing Gaylord Perry who had 29 complete games. It was July. President of the American league said, uh, if somebody, a uh, manager wants to check a pitcher who he thinks is throwing an illegal pitch, he can do it. Chuck Tanner was managing on a Sunday afternoon, first game of a doubleheader. Gaylord was pitching. We had a one to nothing lead. I kept looking in the dugout. I said, what aren't you seeing? Bottom of the seventh inning with the White Sox trailing by a run. Here comes Chuck Tanner out. And he asked the, pit, the umpire to go to the mound. Gaylord in his slide of hand wiped off the back of his head. I called for a slider. He shook off to the, the pitch. With nothing on it, Dick Allen hit a home run to tie the game. White Sox won the game in the bottom of the ninth inning on a walk-off. And Chuck Tanner, instead of exposing himself by saying the first inning, I want to check him, he waited until the big boy came up. I picked up, because at the time, you know, I had to stay behind the plate and Dick Allen was there. I picked up his bat, almost broke my back because it was so heavy. But this was a monster of a man who could swing a bat as heavy as that. But, uh, but that was that new rule that was put in. But Chuck Tanner, uh, who managed for the athletics, and Dick Allen, who played for the A's in 77, the one year, uh, he waited, he hit the home run to tie the game, and then a walk-off won it. That was one of Gaylord Perry's 29 complete games that season. Uh, there'll never be another Gaylord Perry. <laughs> well, there'll never be anybody pitching 29 complete games and, and getting 40 decisions and 40 starts. I know that for sure. But, no, Gaylord was exceptional. But uh, Dick Allen was, was really exceptional, too. I mean, I, it's, uh, it's sad that he passed away. But uh, unfortunately, you know, getting to the ages where a lot of our contemporaries are, are, are not going to be with us or not with us. But uh, anyway, um, it's just uh, it, it was just sad. But uh, I, I hope you and Cody, like I said, have a great Merry Christmas. What's the rest of your program today? Uh, we're going to have Billy Owens on. Great. And then we're going to have uh, Dan O'Dowd, former GM, and now on MLB Network. So uh, right. we roll on. But you know what? Number one thing, Ray, have a great Christmas. Be safe with your family and the grandkids and your kids and have a happy new year. I'll be in touch with you before we bring you on next time. But, uh, uh, you know, everything, my best to your family. And we'll talk. Uh, you'll be back on the show in 2021. I look forward to it. As always, it's as Highlight of my week is getting a chance to talk baseball with you and, and know that the great A's fans are going to be back in large numbers rooting on their team. Cody, congratulations on another outstanding year of putting together a great list of guests for Townie and Townie to you for being able to do a great job interviewing and asking questions and uh, keeping baseball alive on A's cast throughout the year. Great job. As always, Merry Christmas to you, your family, Cody, to you as well. And I definitely will look forward to you after the new year and a happy new year. And let's just hope that when that, when that clock turns 1201 for 2021, that we can look back at 20 and say, thank God it's over <laughs> because there's too many, too many bad things have happened already, but uh, it, it's been a pleasure for this 2020 season. And I'm glad we got connected and, and being able to do this because I really look forward to it and, and um, just keep it going, doing a great job. Well, thanks for the kind words, Ray. Um, happy holidays to you and your family, and uh, we look forward to talking with you in 2021. I have one hard-hitting question. It can, it's really short. Favorite Christmas song? 
favorite Christmas song? Yeah, what's your go-to Christmas uh, song? White Christmas, Gene Autry. Okay, it's can't go wrong there. I mean, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's been around forever. And the Cowboy, I'm just sad that the Cowboy never won a World Series when he uh, when he owned the Angels because I kind of compared him to uh, um, uh, the owner of the of the Red Sox. Um, you know, the, these owners put their heart and soul and money and everything into uh, trying to win championships, and you know, they just didn't happen, unfortunately. And um, in the case of the Cowboy, he sold the club, and shortly thereafter, he passed away. And then uh, the Angels won their only World Championship in 2002. And uh, Tom Yawkey, who was thinking about with the Red Sox, um, but you know, these were country club type ball clubs, and we on the outside would look look at them and say, "Wow." You know, these, these guys are getting paid all this money. and They're not winning. But but uh, it, it was before the free agency and before what is happening right now really came into view as far as baseball is concerned. Those owners did it. And uh, the Gene Autry, the singing cowboy, uh, to me, can't go wrong with that. All right, Ray. We'll talk to you soon. Be well, my friend. Thank you, Townley. Best to you and your family. And uh, have a great, great holiday season. I know you will. Thank, thank you, buddy. The great Ray Fossey, the face of the franchise. Coming up next, Assistant General Manager Billy Owens will join us right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. Friend of the program. Also friend of the program. He's the assistant general manager and director of player personnel. He's been with the athletics a long time. Our old friend caught up with him earlier today, Billy O, Billy Owens. Billy O, it's been a while, but how is everything for you down in the Valley of the Sun? Uh, dude, it actually rained out here today, man. The first time it rained since like, uh, like August 8th or so. So we got a little precipitation out here in the Valley of the Sun and uh, we're ready to roll. The it is always, are a little greener today. It's always weird when it rains down there because, like, everybody doesn't, you know, they don't really know how to deal with it. Yeah, it's funny. I guess we're on, uh, like, in the Northeast, they're used to driving with the snow. So in Arizona, it never rains. So people definitely uh, react differently uh, when they're driving in the rain, per se. But, no, it's actually a welcome change. Saw a lot of people walking outside in my neighborhood. Uh, getting a little precipitation, so got a little uh, greenery outside, a little brighter, so uh, it's good. It's just uh, life in 2020, bro. Well, I, I know you're all about building, you're all about players, and I think that after the big league club got through this whole thing and got through a round of the playoffs, that when you look back, that you had to be pretty proud of what this team was able to accomplish in 2020. Yeah, now, Bob Melvin, I mean, for one, uh, obviously, tremendous manager, probably the best in baseball. Uh, for us to, to win a division this year, get over that hump, and actually I've been with the A's for 20-plus for years. We made the playoffs uh, 11 out of 20 years, but we only, only got out of the first round in uh, 2006. We lost to the Tigers in the ALCS that year, uh, Megaly Ordonez against Houston Street. So for us to get over that hump, uh, beat a talented White Sox team in the first round, and then we uh, bowed out to the Astros in the um, at Dodger Stadium. It, it was still a, a great year. Uh, guys made strides this year. You know, Sean Murphy established himself as a force behind the plate. Uh, Jesus Lazardo got uh, Rookie of the Year votes. And so, 
you, you couple that with uh, Ramon Laureano playing uh, really good center field, our bookend guys in the corners and uh, Olsen and Chapman. And uh, going forward, um, obviously, uh, Simeon, a tremendous year in person. Uh, Liam Hendricks, um, another guy that, you know, outrighted a couple of years ago. Then he puts up two stellar uh, all MLB first team years for us in the closing ranks. So uh, it was a great year. It, it was fun. It was um, only one team's left standing, and that was the Dodgers in uh, 2020. But it was still a, a hell of a ride. You know, you talk about Murph, and we had him on the program, and he's, you know, he's a, he's a he's a no nonsense kid, and just watching him, um, the power that he has, and defensively, even though there's a not a lot there's not a lot of running in baseball, I hope that kind of comes back. But his catch and throw ability for a guy his size, wouldn't you say that's rare? Yeah, no, he's a, he's definitely a two way catcher. He can shut down the running game. I think he was either he led to the American League or amongst the American League leaders in uh, throwing guys out. Uh, his OPS was right at uh, 833 offensively, and I and I can see that rising. You're talking about a guy that uh, hit above three bills in uh, Stockton right out the gate in his minor league career uh, last year in, in AAA in 2019, hit well over three bills, and so far in, in the major leagues, uh, you combine the two years, his OPS has been above 800, uh, short swing, compact. Uh, Murphy's got a great backstory. For one, his dad played minor league ball, so he had a little um, professional baseball pedigree. But uh, Sean Murphy was an undersized kid all the way through, like, his junior year of high school, like 5'8 or so. And so he, he had that kind of quickness, and that's the way he operated. And then his senior year in high school, he shot up to 6'3", which he is now. And he still kept that same quickness as he had when he was 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, if you, you couple that with the rocket arm and, and um, the physique that, that that added strength over the years, uh, it's, it's a hell of a catch, catching package. And honestly, I mean, I see Murphy at some point actually starting a major league all-star game, and I don't think that's hyperbole. And um, our Jonah Heim, our, our backup catcher, uh, 25 years old, switch hitter, uh, from Buffalo, New York, originally drafted by the Orioles, traded to the Rays, and then um, we we traded for him a couple years ago. Uh, Jonah Heim is um, a very capable backstop as well, a soft hand. Another guy, I think we might have the, the two tallest catchers in MLB, but uh, they both fold up really well behind the plate. And um, on most teams, Jonah Heim would be a viable starter, but uh, Sean Murphy, he, he's an all-star caliber player. Yeah, you got linebackers playing catcher. Yeah, we got linebackers or, or maybe like three guys in basketball, versatile. Uh, they can hang on the wing, but they can also uh, go to the hole and, and, and flush a dunk. It's business as usual in baseball as, you know, I guess virtual winter meetings going on. We had the Rule 5 draft. You guys made two selections. Tell us about those selections. Yeah, first guy is uh, Kai Tom. He's originally from Hawaii. Um we go all the way back with uh, Kai Tom to um, University of Kentucky. Uh, they've always had good players down there, SEC, and um, he, he's a classic um, Oakland A's player, man. He, he's built, if I like to use the other sports analogy, kind of got like a J.K. Dobbins body. Like you go Ohio State, Baltimore Ravens, 5'8", 5'9", uh, sturdy build, 
Uh, Kai Tom's been on base 360, minor league career, uh, 2019, between double A and triple A. Um, very good strikeout to walk rate. Uh, can play all three outfield uh, positions. And he'll surprise you with some sting. I mean, he's got seasons with double-digit uh, home run tallies. He's always um, had a solid uh, slugging percentage. And so you throw that versatility in, being able to play all three outfield positions, that's going to give you a quality at bat that we've seen since college in the SEC at Kentucky, all the way through A-ball, double-A, triple-A in the Indians organization. Uh, we're definitely excited to um, bring the Hawaiian native uh, Kai Tom into the fold. And the second guy, uh, Danny Jimenez, uh, Dominican Republic kid, um, live arm, up to 98, 2019 in a Toronto Blue Jays organization, uh, had a sterling ERA, solid strikeout-to-walk ratio. Uh, the Giants rule five them 2020. Um, he got a couple appearances for the Gigantes. Uh, they sent him back to Toronto, so he's a back-to-back -back, uh, Rule 5 guy, live arm. Uh, Scott Emerson for us, actually an old minor league teammate of mine, but I believe he's the best pitching coach in MLB. And so if there, anybody's going to harness uh, Mr. Jimenez's uh, secondary stuff and make him a viable big leaguer in 2021, Emo's the man for the job. How tough is it to be a Rule 5 guy? Yeah, it's tough on both sides. I mean, for one, it's a great opportunity. I mean, our best Rule 5 in recent eras is a Mark Hanna, uh, Bell Prep San Jose, uh, like myself, Kevin Franz, and Pat Burrell. But um, yeah, Canna came over. He was uh, Marlins organization. He, um, he had 300, always had a history of hitting. Cal Berkeley guy as well. And we Rule 5'd him. Actually, the Rockies did. We did a... a a rule five trade that day and um he's been able to stick i think he's got a 795 ops for us for his career played all three outfield positions but what it does um it gives guys opportunity it allows them to get a major league trial spring training see if they can um you know break with the club and then from there they have to be on that roster basically the, the whole season Otherwise, they're going to get offered back to their original club. And so, I mean, it's kind of it's a little bit of a roster freeze. But if you get a situation like Mark Hanna, you go all the way back. Um, Roberto Clemente, who's actually a Rule 5 pick, signed from uh, Puerto Rico to the Dodgers, I believe. And, and he was uh, selected, and he ended up being um, the most decorated uh, Puerto Rican player of all time. So... Uh, there's been great stories from the Rule 5, Canada for us recently, and hopefully this year, Kai Tom and Danny Jimenez. Yeah, our buddy Bip Roberts was a Rule 5 pick back in the day. There's been some really good ones. Of course, you see him on A's pre- and post-game live on NBC Sports California. You mentioned Mark Canna, and of course, as you said, you guys went to the same high school, Bellman Prep, down here in the South Bay. And it's just, I remember when Mark Canna showed up, it's like, okay, what is he going to be? Can he play? Is he a DH? Is he gonna? Does he play third? Can he? Can he play like left field? I don't think anybody knew how good an athlete. Maybe you did that. He could be playing a legit center field in Major League Baseball. Yeah, for one, I mean, Mark Canna is probably the one of one. I've been in Oakland A's twenty-one years. 
he's one of the most driven people that I've seen in a major league uniform for us. And honestly, you know, I played a little football back in my Bell Prep days. And uh, right when we Rule 5 selected him, our uh, head football coach, we shared the same head football coach, Mike Janda, Hall of Famer in California. And Coach Janda was, like, really telling me what kind of speed that uh, Mark Hanna had. And, and like you said, I don't think anybody besides Coach Janda had that really true intel scouting report. So he comes to us initially, first base, left field, DH, possibly stand to stand him at third base. But, you know, after a while, he had quality at bats at first big league camp. He breaks. And then lo and behold, I mean, the athleticism, the drive, uh, kind of won everybody over, had a big first year for us. Then the next year, he had a couple of home runs early. Then he had a surgery. He missed a lot of that second year. But then since he's come back with that drive, with the physicality and that right-handed power, uh, he's made himself a, a really good major league player. I mean, a guy that, you know, has got a 795 career OPS. And like you said, he can play legitimately all three outfield positions. Uh, he's hungry. He gives you a professional at bat. He's a good dude. And so, yeah, yeah we struck gold in the Rule 5 that year, for sure. And then I think a guy like Chad Pender, like we've had him on the program and like, you know, he grew up a shortstop. He grew up playing in the middle of the diamond. And next thing you know, you want to get his athleticism and you want to get his bat in the lineup. And next, you know, he's going out in the outfield and one point was playing right field and StatCast says he was getting some of the best jumps on the ball in all of the game. So when you look at a player as a scout and you're getting ready to draft a guy, how hard is it to project, hey, I can put this shortstop out in right field someday? Yeah, for one, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, you go back to Little League, the best player in the field pitches and plays shortstop. And a lot of times that goes all the way through at least high school where the best player in the field, even like a lot of Eric Davis played center, he played shortstop in, in high school. So the better players normally play short initially then eventually they branch out when you go to college and, you know, you have five shortstops and guys got to play multiple places. So when Chad Pender broke in, dad played professional as well. Um, dad played at Virginia Commonwealth actually with uh, Jerry DePoto, that, um, the GM for the uh, Seattle Mariners. But uh, Chad came in. Uh, we had an incumbent at the time with Marcus Simeon or somebody else already playing shortstop. And so – with that, and Chad got drafted well with a couple other guys, Daniel Robertson, Addison Russell. We had a couple other shortstops right around his draft class, 2012 and 2013, when he got drafted. So he showed that versatility in the minor leagues. He played third. He played second. After we made a couple trades, uh, Chad was a Texas League Player of the Year at short. And then he, Triple um, A, played majority shortstop. But he always dabbled at other positions. And so... That year, we had a crowded spring training. Um, and actually, I was kind of just going through his, um, his uh, career at Virginia Tech. And lo and behold, he actually played a lot of outfield his freshman year in college at, at Virginia Tech. And so it wasn't something that he hadn't done before. And so just with the configuration of our team at the time, um, we just asked him to go out there and take some drills, and he took it like a fish to water, and he uh, looked comfortable in the outfield. So 
Uh, to make a long story short, I mean, if you go, you know, if you go around the diamond, I mean, our platinum gold glove winning third baseman and Matt Chapman, guarantee he played a lot of short as a youth player. Uh, Marcus Simeon, a great free agent out there, tremendous person. He played shortstop coming up through the ranks. And, you know, guys that are versatile, even Laureano, and if you, if you really want to laugh, uh, Cespedes, I mean, in his Cuban days, uh, when he was 14, 15 years old, he'll, he'll tell you he was a shortstop too. So, I mean, the better player started shortstop. <laughs> you know, I think about Matt Chapman, and yes, he was a shortstop. Uh, his range, his athletic ability, his arm, do you think you could put him there and play him there every day? Yeah, I mean, last year, just with the circumstance, he showed that he went went to um, shortstop in Houston. I mean, that's a bigger conversation. That's above my pay grade. But could could Matt Chapman, could he be the best defender on the field that at more than third base? I would bet my answer would probably be yes. I mean, just with the superior uh, hands, um, the athleticism, the footwork, the precision, the – being acrobatic, uh, he can he can do it all defensively, and just with all the shifts out there. I mean, if you you go mess up Manny Machado, I mean he, he caught a ball this year in their ship, damn at the right field wall, and so Chapman, he's definitely slid over and and stood at that shortstop position, even though he um, was listening to lineup card as third baseman. So no, yeah, he can he can do whatever he wants to do defensively and whatever wherever the Bob Melvin puts him in the lineup, he'll be an above-average major league player on the defensive side of the ball, without a doubt. Let's end on this. You mentioned your time with the A's, with Billy Bean, and all the winning that you guys have done. And looking around baseball right now, where you got some big-time teams, you know, maybe it's the Phillies or the Cubs and the Red Sox, and they're, 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 they're looking to cut payroll. They're looking to get rid of guys. You guys always try to win. For someone that's in the front office, what does that mean to you that no matter what, the A's are trying to win? Yeah, I told, forgot who I told about a decade ago. I always said Billy Bean will never concede. I mean, he's definitely, he ain't trying to punt. He ain't trying to pull a, was a Reggie Roby back in the day or Ray Guy. Billy Bean ain't a punter. He's more of a gunslinger. He's more Elway, Marino, one of them cats, man. So, we're definitely every year at some point when it, when they say play ball uh, April 1st, we're going to put a, a lineup out there that's uh, capable of winning. We, we've made the playoffs here 11 out of 20 years. Uh, we'll mix and match. And honestly, if you just look at, you know, Major League Baseball, um, a Rose Arena was, was a kid that when he got an opportunity this year sometime in September, he ended up being – you know, hit 10 home runs in the postseason. And so you, you never know who's going to be tomorrow's October heroes. So at some point we got, you know, guys on the horizon that need opportunity, uh, whether they're in our system now or maybe they're rule five today, or maybe we get them via trade. But and when we break camp um, late March, early April, Billy Bean, David Forrest, myself, uh, we're not going to concede. We're going to, try to put a winner on the field. We've done it as far as a playoff team, 11 out of uh, 20 years. 
this year we got out of that first round, beat a talented White Sox club who's really, really talented. And so, you know, being a division winner last year was fun. And now let's next year, let's try to make that next step for sure. Well, I, I got to tell you, it's always an honor to have you on the program and the knowledge that you bring. We appreciate it. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Have a happy new year. And we'll talk to you in 2021. I can't wait, Tony. Looking forward to it, man. Talk to you soon. Billy Owens, Assistant General Manager and Director of Player Personnel, 21 years with the organization. He's going to be a GM at some point. There's no question about that. And, I mean, his mind is like an encyclopedia. I mean, the way he remembers players, I mean, the scouting. Um, we actually were on the phone today before the show. And, you know, he hasn't been home this much ever in his professional career. I mean, he's a, he's a man on the road. If you want to talk about a guy who's got Marriott points, this guy's got Marriott points. And he's lived, what did he say? He's lived in this house for like 14 years. He's like, I'm finally meeting neighbors around me. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, you know, the guy's got to be on the road. How many months out of the year? So but it's always great to have Billy O on. By the way, I got to tell you, my studio, it's like a cave. It's like in the summertime, it's smoking hot. I had to buy Cody an air conditioner. And then now that we're in winter, it's like, it, it, it's it's unbelievable how cold it is. Yeah, it's starting to get a little cold over here from in my neck of the woods here in downtown San Jose. Um, then again, I just shut the blinds so like it, it looks darker in my apartment. When you open the blinds, it feels warmer because the sun's coming in, but the sun's kind of going down now a little bit. Uh, plus, I don't think we've turned the heat on in here since like last year. Uh, it doesn't get cold. Like we, just, I don't know. It doesn't get cold enough for us to turn the heat on. Plus, that's just me being like my dad. You know, growing up in Pennsylvania, my dad waited till literally the last possible day, and then he's like, "Okay, we can turn the heat on." It's like, well, no wonder I'm never cold. I grew up not having heat half the time because my dad was such a stickler with the the thermostat. But yeah, I mean, I never, when, it's when it's ten degrees, he finally turned it on. Yeah, he go. Right, we can turn it on for a couple minutes, and then he go. All right, just put more layers on. <laughs> oh God! No, Are he's you serious. No, he was always it, like it was a running joke most of the time because my uh, like my mom would get so upset that she was always so cold. So for a while, my dad was there. We'll use a kerosene heater until I want to turn the furnace on, and like I don't know, that's just how he was. It, it, he was just being cheap, essentially. I, I I literally have to go living with uh, a wife and two daughters. I literally have to go to the nest thing and be like, why is it 72 degrees in here? I mean, I always have to turn it down. I mean, because all of a sudden I'll just be like, why is it so hot? That's why that's why I'm walking around my house always in a T-shirt, shorts and flip flops. It's because it's in the 70s. <laughs> Yeah, I think I actually because I'm right next to it. My thermostat here in my kitchen, in my uh, living room, is it's well, well, everyone can laugh. It's at 69 degrees in my in our apartment right now. So that's with no heat, no air conditioning. I don't think we've had either of those run in like a month or two. So uh, the weather's definitely changing. I mean, it'd be different if we were on the East Coast, or like Hembo said, it's like 10 degrees when you get up in the morning. Uh, I don't miss that stuff. I don't miss that at all. Uh, so I'll, I'll take this weather that we currently have right now. But, 
You know, one thing that we kind of missed before, while we were doing uh, our parade of interviews, I mean, we kind of touched on with Hembo, but it wasn't official. The Phillies officially hired uh, old, your good friend, Dave Dombrowski, to be their president of baseball ops. They've done that? That's just gone down during the show? Yeah, it's official. New new ba- uh, president of baseball ops. So I don't, I don't know when we're going to see uh, – Dombrowski trade away all of his top prospects to acquire stars, but it's going to happen eventually. And the Phillies, I don't. I, it's interesting how it's going to ha- work this off season because of how different everything is, and how the Phillies are saying how they don't have money to spend and and everything with that. So it'll be. I'm curious to see how Dombrowski builds that team going into 2021. Well, he's a two-time World Series champion, a National League champion, a three-time American League champion. 1990 UPI Executive of the Year, two-time Baseball America Executive of the Year, 2011 Coast Sporting News Executive of the Year, and uh, he's in the Lou Boudreaux Hall of Fame. He's also in the Andrew Rube Foster. He's won the Andrew Rube Foster Award, which I have no idea. He's had an incredible career. I mean, Dave Dombrowski has won everywhere he has gone. What he won when they won with the Marlins, what ninety seven? That was a good story. He took the Tigers to how many World Series? What two different times they went to the World Series with Jim Leland? Oh six and two thousand twelve against the Giants. Well, yeah, yeah, they beat the A's. And then he goes to win the World Series with the Red Sox. There was some uh, tomfoolery and buffoonery going on potentially with uh, Cora and the. Although they blamed it on the video guy, he was their fall guy. Uh, he was the lower level employee, but. Uh, Always a lower-level employee. But you're right. Dombrowski has a great track record. It's just his track record is different than what people are used to in baseball now where it's we're going to we're gonna trade all of our guys away instead of building up the system, and then we're going to try to acquire stars and then maybe overpay those stars going forward, kind of like what happened with J.D. Martinez. Uh, pretty sure Dombrowski signed that Miguel Cabrera contract. Uh, that, one, that one isn't really working out well for Detroit, but – uh, there's not really one on the Phillies that could get a really bad contract after the the one that. And it, it, I'm not saying Harper's deal is a bad deal. It's just a lot of money for a guy, and he's only going what his third year, and the Phillies haven't won yet. So, it's well, really fascinating. You 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 want his record, his overall record? Is that a thing on Baseball Reference? They have GM's records. Are I got on, on Wikipedia. What's his record? It looks like. Two hundred and I mean, two thousand three hundred and seventy-six wins to two thousand four hundred and forty-three losses. Nine playoff appearances, four pennants, two World Series titles. Now, now you got me curious, and I know we're going to get to Dan O'Dell. Well, and I got to tell you, being in Florida all those years was not was because he he they won in nineteen ninety-seven, but. The rest of the time they run. If you took his Marlins record out, I guarantee it's a pretty darn good record. But he he was in Florida from '93 to '01. They were never over 500, other than the year they won the World Series. Yeah, that. Well, then they rebuilt the next year after they got they won the World Series. Think about this: you win the World Series, you're 92 and 70. You're the wild card team. You win the World Series. You dump everybody. You dump everybody. They went fifty-four and one hundred eight. That's that's uh that's like Astros bad, Pirates bad of the 
And then what? Three? What? Five years later, they win the uh, they win the World Series again, and then they they tear it all down again. And yeah. They... So if you're if you're if you're it, 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 when when anybody says, "Oh, the Marlins," you got to realize what 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 these what what these fan what this fan base has been through. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Two two World Series runs, and then they had a playoff run this past season, and now everyone's thinking the Marlins are going to be terrible again next year. Uh, I don't think so. I think that the I think they're going to be better than people think next year. But you're right about Dombrowski. He has you think about those Marlins teams, those t- teams in Detroit, and the, the Red Sox teams. What that Red Sox team that won the World Series won 108 games. So uh, he knows what he's doing. He'll he'll turn the Phillies around. I don't know if fans in Philly are how much patience they'll have with him because it's uh, Philly fans and people on the East Coast. Uh, they're very passionate and they don't have patience. So. I will say that I think that the Phillies will be back in the thick of things in the NL East in probably, I don't know, two years. I don't know what kind of farm system they have. So if he wants to do some wheeling and dealing, I don't know what he's got. Yeah, their system isn't isn't the worst, but it's also not the best. Um, I'll, I can look it up before we get to Dan O'Dowd. Well, but. I, and the thing here is, if, if you want to be somebody who wants to win right away, there may be a market for you out there because there's so many teams that want to rebuild or reset, whatever word you want to use. You need some players? Call the Chicago Chicago Cubs. They've got a few guys. You don't like that? Oh, no. I was looking at... wear... Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Well, you had uh, you had a strange look on. Oh, because I was looking at the farm the farm system rankings, and I found the Phillies are twenty third, and their top prospect played. Uh, he was a second place winner, uh, finisher in the rookie of the year, if I'm not mistaken, Alec Baum. So uh, their farm system is not very good. So I don't know what Dombrowski is going to be doing with trading guys away. But you're, but I didn't mean to interrupt your point there. But he could be taking on money. Yeah, and you're right about you know, the Cubs. They have some guys you, you can try to go after. I'm just using them as an example. There, there's some there's there's places out there that have some players that they're going to want to dump. And you could be sitting there saying, hey, we'll take them on. That's the way you could get good players right away. I'm telling you, if we go down the list, I know we need to get to Dan O'Dowd. But if we went down the list right now, and you could really count almost on one hand, maybe a little more, of teams that are really going to – um be interested in winning. So I'm getting the list of teams. Okay, here we go. Uh, yay or nay, Tampa Bay Rays. Yay. New York Yankees. Yay. Toronto Blue Jays. Yay. Baltimore Orioles. No. <laughs> Boston Red Sox. No. Minnesota Twins. Yay. Chicago White Sox. Yes. Cleveland Indians. Push. I don't know what they're trying to do. <laughs> okay, they're not a yay. Yeah. Okay, Kansas City Royals. No. Detroit Tigers. No. Oakland A's. Yes. Houston Astros. Yes. Seattle Mariners. No. Uh, Los Angeles Angels. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Ra- Rangers. No. Braves. Yes. Marlins. I think yes. 
Some will say no. You're gonna say no on the Marlins? No, I say yes. I think some people will say no. They're not gonna. They're not gonna try to win. According to him, both Phillies don't want to take on money yet. So I'm saying I think we got to say yay on them for next year. Yeah, what, Mets. Mets are still kind of a push. Yeah, we don't know. If they, they haven't signed anyone yet. So yeah, till they till they act like uh, Nationals are a no. And then every team in the NL Central, they're either rebuilding or they're trying to manage payroll. Except for like, okay. so literally the only team maybe in that division that's gonna try to win, the Cardinals because they're always they're always competitive. Brewers, no, no. Pirates, definitely not. Cubs, no. And, and the Reds. Then, okay, then we got the National League West. You got Dodgers, Padres, nobody else. Yeah, pretty much. So that's 12 out of 30. So well more than half. We're already thinking in 2021, they don't want to win. More yeah. than half. We saw that. I mean, there's going to be ta- – I know the word tanking isn't a word that people like to hear about, but there's going to be teams that are still – like the Royals are still rebuilding. I know they signed Santana, but they're still rebuilding. The Pirates are still rebuilding. Detroit's still rebuilding, even if they did sign A.J. Hintz to be their manager. The Red Sox got Cora back, but I don't think they're going to be competing next year. You're right. Yeah, we're, 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 just talking about, we're just talking about next year. You know, some people might say, eh, we'll, we'll wait for 2021. But yeah. that's just my yeah. whole thing. It's like that. there's players on those rosters. If you do want to, on all those teams we said no, there's players on that ro- on those rosters that if you you want to go get some guys, because this might be a year, and then, you know, uh, maybe we can talk to David Forrest about this, but this may be one of those upcoming years where everybody is so ready to do a reset and it's more about money. Once it becomes about money, and Mookie Betts proved this, that trade. Once the Red Sox were like, okay, we'll take on his arbitration money. We'll take on David Price money. Now, this is before COVID. They didn't really have to give up much. So that's the thing. If you're willing to absorb money when the rest of the industry isn't, I think you can go get some players. That's why I think a team like the, the team I think scary to watch for Lindor is the Blue Jays because they have the farm system to, to try to get them and they can absorb money his his arbitration money and they can I don't think they will be able to try to sign him to a long term deal if you can get him for one year to go on that infield with Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and you got Hernandez in the outfield or um yeah Hernandez and Gurriel in the outfield. Uh, they have a nice team going forward, and they seem to add some more pitching. But the Blue Jays are a team I think should be favored to try to get Lindor. Well, earlier today, Dan O'Dowd, former general manager, he spent 15 years in Baltimore and Cleveland and then was hired to be the GM for the Colorado Rockies. And now on MLB Network, he does a great job on TV. Here's my interview with him earlier today. As I told him in San Diego, we'll tell him again, he's my favorite GM MLB network. Dan O'Dowd is with us here. And Dan, it is hard to believe that the last time we talked was down in San Diego. And what has happened in our lives, in our world, and in our sport, the change is just unreal. Chris, first of all, thanks for having me on. And I know that I'm the only GM at the network, so to speak. So I guess I'm, I'm glad I'm your favorite GM. Oh, um, yeah. Follow those guys great. That's what I love. 
Uh, it, yeah, it's incredible what's happened to us. It's just surreal. And uh, it shows you how unpredictable life is and how adaptable you have to be because it seems like every single day you're dealing with another set of issues that you really are truly unprepared for. And um, it's been sobering this last, you know, ever since um, this, you know, the whole thing started, it's been very sobering in our entire country. And certainly it's affected the sports world dramatically. Yeah. What do you think it would be like? And we just don't have to talk baseball. It could be NBA hockey. It could be NFL. And what do you think it's like to be someone who runs an organization as a general manager in a time like this? You know, it's, 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 first of all, it would be hard for me to wrap my arms around it because I've really never experienced anything like this, but I would think in doing the job itself, it, you're probably every single day anticipating problems and problems that probably don't have solutions to them. So you're just trying to survive each day and accomplish what you feel like you can accomplish um, and only try to take things one day at a time, not looking certainly in the past, but not looking too far in the future and realizing that the way you've operated up to this point in time is totally different than the way you're going to operate now and potentially moving forward. When I think about what we're hearing and I think about a lot, some of the big market clubs where they're talking Red Sox, Cubs, Phillies, it seems like there's quite a few of the big market teams that are, are not going to be all in. They don't want to spend money. And, you know, I start wondering, looking around, how many teams are really going to be 2021 saying, oh, yeah, we're all in to win the World Series? What are you hearing? Uh, probably pretty much the same thing you are. And I think what's hard is that by nature, every one of these owners and every GM and baseball operations personnel get into these jobs or own a team because they're competitive in some way, shape, or form. And so that shows you the scope of the losses and, you know, the damage that's been done, not just, to, I mean, we talk about baseball organizations all the time. I mean, it's, it's every business across the country for the most part has been decimated through this pandemic um, and the loss of jobs and the uncertainty of the future. And these teams are no different than any other uh, vertical in the game in, in life. And uh, I think they're just trying to figure out, okay, how do we get through this to the backside of it? And when this clears, how do we be in a better a better position than the one we're in now, or at least the same position one we're in now? And as and as competitive as you want to be to try to win, you know, in some cases you're just trying to survive. Yeah, and. and- the way the Oakland A's work, and I always throw the Tampa Tampa Bay Rays in there also because they're kind of like our twin in some ways. It's like, yeah, these are trying times, but the way that this offseason is going to go and probably, you know, you're going to have to fill some spots with one-year deals. I mean, this is kind of what Billy Bean and David Force have been doing for a long, long time. Yeah, I think for some clubs, the adaption model might be difficult. I don't think for the A's it's going to be. I think they – they're, you know, I mean, they're really good at finding undervalued assets that fit into both how they want to play the game and the culture that they've created. And honestly, it might even play to their advantage if they have any payroll bandwidth at all to work with. And they may not because of the saturation of the market is such. I mean, it's just logical to think that at the end of this, there's going to be a lot of players still looking for work. You know, when I think about free agents right now, for some guys, you know, they're going to get their money. But for other guys, is it smart 
to try and go get what you can now? Or do you want to wait and potentially not sign till January? Heck, even February, maybe spring training. Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I'm by nature a little bit more conservative in how I live my life. Um, I think it's based upon how each individual person was raised and, you know, the family dynamic of what they came from and what they have. Um, I think for me, depending upon the player, um, I would be aggressive in some cases and other cases. We're going to know a lot more in February, might even be March, might even be April about what next season may look like as our country goes through a vaccination process. And so much of it's simply tied to our fans going to be allowed to be back in ballparks again and how many games are we going to play and what roster construction is going to look like. And so all those things factor into it. Some players are going to have to wait, Chris, because simply they're not going to have any choice, but they're going to have to wait. And my concern within the industry, like it's been in the last couple of years, is that the upper class will still get its money, but the middle class, um, you know, is going to get squeezed again. And those players, there's so many good players that reside in that area. I call them contributors, and they're really good major league players. They may not be impact players, but they're winning major league players. And the concern I have for that class would be the same concern I've had in the last couple of years. And isn't that the class that Tony Clark is trying to protect, especially coming around here with a new CBA that's going to be negotiated? Well, I would think Tony's got a tough job like, you know, Commissioner Manford does and, you know, because you're negotiating in such uncertain times. Um, I think he's probably trying to protect all of his constituents as much as he possibly can. And that's a really difficult task to do because, again, we are, from the minute this took place, we're in uncharted territories that we've never been as an industry. And that's for all of sports, not just baseball. Could be, could, could it be a situation where um, it could be a gamble, but just to say, you know what, I'm going to take a one-year deal as a player. Now, if it was me, I would take a one-year deal with a team that I think can win, uh, kind of championship chase. But you take the one-year deal and hope, as you said, vaccines, new CBA, reset fans in the stands. So I take that one-year deal, make that gamble, and think I can get something better next year. Again, I, I'm not a – Chris, I'm not a guy that – tries to paint the building with one brush. I think it comes down to each individual case. Uh, I think that's a great strategy, and I've been espousing that here at the network from day one, is that, um, I mean, I, I would take a cautious approach, and I would, uh, like, I say this all the time. I mean, you can deny the reality of the situation you're in. You just can't deny the consequences of denying the reality. And so um, I wouldn't be a pessimist. I wouldn't be an optimist. I'd be a realist about the situation, what's going on right now. And I would have decisions that are reflective thereof. In that case, it may be that taking a one-year option certainly is the most realistic view of your current situation. One thing that I've thought about for you being an ex-GM is let's say you got to trade Francisco Lindor and you're trying to go look for a package that you can take and there's going to be some of the players that are part of a package. They didn't play minor league baseball last season. And you don't know when you're going to see them again. And you're going to have to go off old scouting reports. What do you think that's going to be like for a GM to try and pull it, pull the trigger on a deal? I don't know, Lindor, Arnado, whoever. And you want this big crop of minor league players 
And you don't know what these guys have been doing for the last year plus. Well, it's challenging. I, I think you're going to lend yourself to the players that have played for a longer period of time, unless it's someone that's just come out of the draft and you have all your free agent scouting reports on him, that you're going to probably go to a database that's reflective of, you know, multi-year reports and players that are probably a little bit closer to the big leagues rather than, you know, some of those uh, lottery gambles of high upside guys that are down further in your system that you probably don't have a wealth of information on. Yeah, that's got to be tough. And especially when you're trying to trade somebody, um, you know, of, of the kind of stature of the players. I mean, it's been a while since you've uh, Colorado, but, you know, knowing what you know about Nolan Arenado, I know a lot of teams would love him. He makes a lot of money, but it just seems like there's been a rift there. What do you think happens with the uh, Rockies third baseman that we thought was going to be the face of the franchise? Um, I don't think he ends up anywhere. I mean, especially this offseason. Um, I don't see a lot of clubs taking on large contractual commitments with such uncertainty moving forward in the future. And I can't imagine the Rockies wanting to eat um, or swallow a ton of what's left on his guaranteed deal because he's such a great player. And so, you know, as I think that was, Chris, for me, that's going to be a hard deal to line up unless they can find pieces that offset his commitment that make, you know, them just as competitive they are uh, as without him. And again, that so many things are going to have to fall into place for that to happen. I'd say it's highly unlikely. Let's end on this. You know, ever since MLB Network came around, you know, so different back in the day where you just have like baseball tonight on ESPN, which was just a, a half hour or hour show. Just what has that been like for your career? Because you look like you're having a great time. It looks like you're all having a great time, whether you're dealing with broadcasters, ex-players. Just what has that been like for you being a part of this network? Oh, it's been a tremendous blessing for me, Chris. I, I wouldn't even know how words could explain it. One, it's great. I, I work around so many good people up here. I couldn't, I haven't met a bad person. They're all tremendous and they treated me exceptionally well. And I love the fact that my view of the game is based upon my own life experience and what I've done in my career and everybody I've met, their view of the game is very different than my view of the game. And I've learned a lot. That's the one thing about the game of baseball. If you're humble enough to realize how challenging a game it is, you realize you're always learning at the game. And I've learned a lot since I've been at the network. And I've also enjoyed being able to see the game from a completely different point of view when wins and losses don't determine um, kind of where I'm at uh, emotionally in my life. And so I see the game a little clearer than I did even when I was running a team. Yeah, I, I can just imagine when you can just sit back and watch it. Correct. And you're not, you know, you're not caught up in every single pitch and every single play and every single decision. One, the game's more enjoyable. Two, you see the game clearer, too. And, uh, you know, I mean, I wish I had done this halfway through my career and then done the job again, because I think I'd have a totally different approach to how I looked at the job from the way I did look at it when I was doing it. Dan, I'm a big fan. Uh, appreciate the time. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Have a good Thanks, New Chris. Year. You and, too, buddy. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you in 2021. You're right. Thanks so much, Chris. And again, thanks for having me on. And Merry Christmas to you and all your family. Yeah, he's a good dude. And that was, uh, I think that's something, you know, when you go to the winter meetings, 
and you're able to 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 meet these guys face to face. It's one thing watching them on television. It's one thing doing. I, I thought that was really big for our show going to San Diego, and so so they they. They know now when we contact them, they, you know, they know who you are. They know what you look like. They know, you know, so it's, uh, I thought that was a big trip for our show to where we got to basically have everybody on. And uh, now the relationships have been really set going forward, even though during these tough times, you know, we, we still got baseball to talk about. Yeah. And I meant to bring this up with you the other day because I pulled it up on my computer and I'll, I'll do it again right now. I was just going to go over to some of the people that we had at the winter meetings in San Diego last year. Because uh, the list is just, uh, to me, I think it's the people we were able to pull uh, in that little uh, cul-de-sac, essentially, that we were in uh, at, at the hotel because we were, you know, we weren't front center like MLB Network and uh, Yes Network and all that. But we were there. We were right. I mean, we were two down from Yes Network. But, you know, some of the people we had, we had Brian Kenny, we had Vaskersian, Bobby Evans, Cashy, my good friend, Kevin Cash. Uh, Billy Bean was on with us. John John Morosi, uh, Bob Melvin was there. Dan O'Dowd was there in person. Mad Dog was there when uh, people were mad that you guys were yelling too much. Uh, Marcus Simeon came on with us from down there. Uh, Tori Lovello, the manager of the Diamondbacks, who we who we taped at night uh, after he got done with an interview, and then we had Sandy Alderson on as well. So those are some of the people we were able to talk to while we were down there. And then obviously you talked to Billy Appler and I talked to Farhan and. You know, that's those are some people we talked to, and Rossi. Don't forget, we we talked with Rossi at the bar. We know oh, that. I mean, he's a, he's just a friend. We just wished him good luck, and uh, you know, gave him a cheers, and that was really about it. But that was a, that was a good time, and uh, I don't know where the winter meetings will be next year. I didn't look that far ahead. Uh, maybe it'll be Dallas again. Who knows? But um, yeah, it seems like the the virtual winter meetings, as David Force said, are, they were just uh, like a normal week essentially for for everyone. Well, I mean, let's face it, we're, we've all kind of gotten used to, I mean, not all of us, but I think the majority of us have, um, I think we've gotten used to uh, Zoom and Google Meets. I mean, you and I have been doing the show off this for how long now? So it's like, we've just gotten used to this world. Yeah, what's, what, I, don't know what a, I don't know what a studio would look like for us. I feel like the studio would just be you and I sitting here using a, a, a mixer and, oh, and I a can, headset. I, can, I can't wait to get back to our field studio. Yeah, that's a good studio, but uh, not the not the studio that we had at Jingletown, which was put together by the great Joey Libertori. Great setup. It's just uh, I don't know if that's really COVID-friendly for uh, going forward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, take you behind the curtain. Yeah, we're in like this box at, at that at Jack London that they've set up. That uh, it would probably be the most unfriendly COVID media situation in the country. Where you know with the Coliseum beat writers, I, I, I'm 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 literally sitting on Cody's lap. <laughs> where at the Coliseum beat writers are social socially distancing around the Coliseum. You and I are literally yeah. sitting right next to each other, like we're on a roller coaster. Uh, that's I'm how close we sure, are. Like, you know how David, For like when we're when we're doing the uh, when we're doing the um, show from the studio, how like David Force will come in the little box, or or Dave Cavill. I guarantee you there's no chance they would be showing up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the only way they'll be doing it now is if they're in that studio by themselves and we're here, uh, doing it yeah. from our homes. That's the only way we'll get them ever back in the, our studio, Jack London. But. 
You know, give I'm, me one. Give me your best buying or selling before we get out of here. Okay. Um, let me look at the list here. Um. Okay, I'll, let's just go with this one. Um, do you want to go through the whole thing or just ask you the question? Yeah, ask me the question. Buying or selling the White Sox or the team to beat in the American League Central? I'm going to buy. Over over the Twins, huh? Yeah, I I think I I I, I maybe recency biased, but that that ball club they're tough. I mean, we 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 just saw it. I mean, it's no joke. I mean, they, they can play, and they're young, and they're athletic, and they've got power, and now they're adding a, a guy that you could – I mean, I don't know if I call him an ace, but he's a really good arm. Um, they've got good arms. And now you got Tony La Russa, and I'm not buying that Tony La Russa. For some reason, and, and we have said it back in our guy, Tony, people act like he's never dealt with egos. People act like, I mean, like, come on. He dealt with Mark McGuire in the home run chase. You don't think Albert Pujols has a big ego? He dealt with Jose Canseco and Ricky Henderson and, and Dennis Eckersley. You don't think those guys have big egos? Like, the, the, the thought that there's this idea that Tony's going to come in, it's my way or the highway. Well, it'll be the highway really quick. And Tony has. Tony's not dumb. Tony's really right. Tony's going there to win, so he needs these young kids to get on board. I don't think he's going to have a problem whatsoever. Yeah, I don't either. And, you know, with the White Sox, you know, they got Lynn. That's a great move. Uh, they're in, Apparently, according to our good friend Bob Nightingale, they're they're really serious on Liam Hendricks. So um, we'll see how that plays out to be their back end of their bullpen. But they have Garrett Crochet, the lefty that threw, what, 100-something pitches in the majors last year, and over 50% of them were 100 miles an hour faster. Michael, yeah, last time you saw him, though, he walked off the mound yeah. hurt. Michael Kopech's coming back. Another kid that throws over 100 miles an hour. He was a big part of the Chris Sale. Uh, was it was it the Chris Sale trade? Yeah, I think it was a Chris Sale trade when they got him back from uh, the Red Sox. But with the Twins, they don't have um, – we don't know what's going on with Jake Odorizzi, their best starter, and they already DFA – or DFA, they non-tendered Eddie Rosario, one of their best power-hitting outfielders. They will get a, a healthy Josh Donaldson uh, back, but he's now a year older, so – that those are the two teams to watch because, like I said, we don't know what the Indians are going to be doing with Lindor and what they're going to plan on doing after. But I'm going to buy it too. I think they are the team to beat the White Sox. How about this? If what we heard today is true, one of the big and I know we got to go, but one of the one of the teams that everybody was like, "Oh, going to go after Marcus Simeon," is Philadelphia. As Philadelphia doesn't want to spend any money, I mean, how many teams out there really want to spend money? All the big boys, I mean, L.A., they don't need a short. Need, need, well, who's going to play short in Anaheim? Uh, well, they got Jose Iglesias. Remember, they traded for him from the Orioles, so he'll play short. And they can't be putting any more money into their lineup. They got to put money into pitching. Yeah, I would hope so, but you never know. They were like, oh, yeah, we really want Trevor Bauer. But, hey, guys, we just signed George Springer. I mean, Yankees. I mean, you got the. I mean, who 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 legitly is going to actually say we'll take on money? Yankees, Mets, potentially, Dodgers. There's not there's not a whole market out there for a big contract. Maybe the Blue Jays too. I, th- I don't know why the Blue Jays are so active, but I guess they have money to spend. The other rumor I saw about the Angels, real quick, is that they are apparently in, they were interested in James McCann. Okay, that makes sense. They need a catcher. 
That actually mm-hmm. makes sense because uh, the Mets are apparently one of the teams that wanted him too, and they were close. But um, yeah, there's not gonna be a lot of team spending, and it, it, it's a good sign for maybe for the A's with the whole Marcus Simeon market. If we talked to David on Monday, first question out of the gate with him is just, Dave, we're not gonna, you know, is Marcus coming back? What are we doing? It's just Tommy Lasella. Yeah. And then you got how many 80-something relievers out there to choose from? Yeah, there's a lot of guys that are available from the, uh, from the, for the bullpen, sounds like. All right, that's going to do it for A's Cast Live this week. We'll be back on Monday from 1 to 4. Everybody be safe. Everybody be healthy. Enjoy listening to A's Cast powered by iHeartRadio. We're going to replay the show right here, and we'll be back on Monday. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 